Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex in episode number 176. And for a so-called intelligence, it's pretty darn stupid. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Good. Pretty darn stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Finals beating you that badly? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> this 12-page paper was up one side and down the other. What was it in? Social media. 12 pages on social media. Social media? Ooh, yeah. Like Facebook and Twitter yeah. and... I don't know if I could fill stuff that you don't do. I, I had to explain. <laughs> this, uh, That's why it was so hard. He doesn't engage in it like we do. Somebody explain to me. I, don't the think, I engage in it. I don't think I could talk about it that long. Oh, of of writing twelve pages about a format in which you can only use one hundred and forty characters. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's how, that's how I would have done it. That's how I would have done it right there. No, seriously, I'd have done one hundred and forty characters, and then one hundred and forty characters, one hundred and forty characters of, of different topics or different parts of what I was talking about. <laughs> And then got to the end and used that as an as an example. No, actually, what what it was we had to do we had to do an analysis. We had to put together a social media presentation plan for a business Ah. Uh, in SWAT format, which is strengths, weaknesses, all stuff we didn't cover in class. I was like, really? (laughs) Everybody complained about it. What are we doing? If you didn't cover it, why are they making you do it? So um, I have a homework assignment for all of you, so that you can know my pain. Um, I want uh, you to no. go. <laughs> you don't have to write anything. Oh, all right. I want you to go onto YouTube and look up a little thing I like to call Mike's Golf Shop because that's what I chose. That's the business that I chose to do my paper on. And God oh. bless him. He's this little guy out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he get out there in front of his store with his iPhone. <laughs> He's holding it up. Shows the sign. Shows the building behind him. He's like, "Hi, this is Mike down here at Mike's Golf Shop, <laughs> where we buy golf clubs. We, we buy golf." <laughs> And I said to myself, this man needs a social media platform. <laughs> so that's what I did my paper on. Nice. Yeah, he, he apparently, uh, his, his little self-made how-to video was featured on Tosh.0 and went through the roof because it went viral. Oh, man. And he said his business well, has gone up like... he didn't need you. He got yeah, Tosh. His business has gone up like 5,000% since he put that <laughs> ad <laughs> Yeah. Where uh, we buy golf. Clubs. <laughs> <laughs> so we're recording late again because of my finals. apologies it's my fault did you get to do anything fun besides finals um yeah like i said we we um i i worked all this this is the really kicker is because of the way my classes were scheduled i have i've had tuesdays and thursdays off and i work the rest of the time well when your paper is due tuesday and you haven't had a chance to do anything because of your work schedule. I mean, it's like, I can't do it over the weekend because I work every day leading up to it. And then Tuesday was the day it was due. So it was like, I, that's why we're recording late. Because it's like, there's no way I can... I mean, I didn't even go to shows this week. So I still haven't watched Game of Thrones <laughs> oh, this past <laughs> week yet either. Um, well, yeah, you're two weeks behind then though, right? Because you guys don't watch... Yeah, because we don't watch... Don't watch this two weeks. weeks from us, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's that. But no, I really... Uh, I got that one done, and uh, I turned in my final video project and my storyboard, and everything's done except I've got one more final tomorrow, and uh, theoretically should be an easy one. <laughs> and then I'm out. It's like <laughs> done. 
for the semester anyway. So. What? Sorry. We're eating these fries and I had a flashback to our first failed podcast that oh, we yeah. tried to do when you were in the corner eating chip potato chips. <laughs> it was a true family guy moment back then, too. I, was, uh, I got the bag and I'm opening the bag and he's looking at me and I'm rustling. You know, I get the bag open and I get a chip out and they're both staring at me as I go. <laughs> How many people know this? I don't know. I'm not even sure Keith knows I was, this. We did, Sean and I did a podcast called Seven Minutes of Garbage. Oh, I think we got four episodes recorded. Four. One of them got up on the on a, on a website, I think. Maybe two. Can't remember. Did they ever actually get up on no, it? Oh, yeah, there's, there was one. I think it's still floating around out there somewhere. <laughs> I had to go look it up. I remember you it's, telling me about it. But it was I never terrible. Well, it. It, was, it was a great intention. It was. I thought it was a good idea. Just we just we didn't. We executed it poorly. <laughs> we had no direction. We just. Well, it was you at birth the eunuch or eunuch. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. Uh, still that one. <laughs> the eunuch. The eunuch. <laughs> no, it was. Uh, <laughs> Um, Glenn, Dave, and I, and we'd get together, and Glenn would kind of rummage through magazine articles and find something interesting, and then we would spend seven minutes talking about it. <laughs> okay. That was literally seven minutes of garbage. <laughs> Good premise. It just didn't... It was just executed poorly. It was like traveling the vortex if we put a timer on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Before we got to the Doctor Who part of it, just go this long, then stop. So, I think I our, our theme song was Jive Talk. Was the open. Yeah. Well, I still have those somewhere. I, I think I do too. <laughs> you should totally put that on as a, a, a side a, trip. A, a side trip. Way to the side. When we a short. Sorry, trip, I, didn't mean be... to, I didn't mean to derail you. I just had that flashback. I was sitting there trying to eat. It won't be. A, I can hear myself going. <laughs> won't be a short trip. It'll be a sidestep. <laughs> you didn't get any, any movies watched. Oh uh, well, we, we did watch uh, 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 X Men Three last game because I was going to kill somebody. <laughs> I literally, I got done and I, I went to deliver my paper, and I didn't realize we have a son, not like a boy, but that big ball of gas in there. I hadn't seen it in like three days, and I was like, "Oh wow, look!" <laughs> kind of had a moment, broke down, and cried. <laughs> Outdoors, <laughs> but uh, no. We Mel and I watched uh, X three, and um, X three. You mean X Men Last Stand? X Men Last Stand. <laughs> X three is uh, Triple X, uh, that Vin Diesel <laughs> movie. Um, I've come to the term. I, now, I never hated it as much as I think everybody else did. You know, right? I think it's a fitting wrap up for that particular universe. I think it's really sad that we lost all of the character development from the first two films in order to have a war. And I think that, realistically, the first half of the movie is really pretty good. That's not bad. And then all of a sudden it takes this kind of tonal shift about the midway point. It gets really dark and odd. And not, like, dark in a good way. Not like, okay, I don't mind that you're killing characters off and that this is... It just... I don't know, just the whole thing... It just has this weird tonal shift to it, and it gets really strange, and I don't like the second half of it. Even though, I mean, like I said, the war in of itself is fine. It doesn't bother me, and I'm glad we finally got well, I think it just, Pyro and Iceman facing off. I think it's something that should have been paced out over a couple more films. Yeah. Or just, just dedicated an entire movie to that storyline. Right. Yeah, I just yeah. had too many stories juggling. And then, you know, Porcupine Boy, worst mutant ever. <laughs> I, yeah, let me give you a hug Kid and Omega. then kill you. 
<laughs> so many. Well, he didn't in the comic books. He didn't have quills. So <clears throat> I don't even remember what his power was. Comic book. I didn't even like Angel. I was all excited about Angel when that movie came out. Angel's he was underutilized. Yeah. yeah, underutilized character. Beast really is, too. I mean, he gets more to do, but not as much as he yeah. should. Beast is one that I think should have showed up more... Earlier on yeah, in the series. Yeah, not, not, Maybe not a regular, not maybe like a main... But yeah, other that than that, we, we get one... Well, we get a picture. We get him on CNN or something. In a, and it's not even him blue. Uh, no, and it's not Kelsey Grammer either. <laughs> <laughs> Kelsey Grammer is so good as Beast. Oh, yeah, so really too. is really good. It's yeah. When as soon as I saw that they had cast him back so long ago, I went, "Oh, that's the perfect choice." Yeah, I didn't know he was going to do the physical stuff, but he handled that swimmingly. Too. I'm sure he's got a double as well, but I really believed yeah, it was him. <laughs> yeah, and I still laughed at the uh, the, the Juggernaut line. <laughs> Don't you know who I am? That was the funniest line That's, ever. Don't you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> Go internet. <laughs> and I'd, for, I'd completely forgotten when Wolverine sneaks into the camp and he starts slicing up people that that one guy grows his arms back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the look that Wolverine had, I had the same look. I was like, oh, yeah. For, and for some reason that struck me as funny, so I started laughing. <laughs> and then I've been spoiled by that. Um, I don't remember what show it is, but there's a show... I think it's one of the ones that Julian had us watch at shows one time where they were spoofing X-Men and Xavier's going through the files and he has Angel walk into his... Uh, oh, it's where they were firing him. <laughs> he was firing him. It was called X-E-X-Men. Ah. And uh, he says, so you fly. Says, well, yeah. Says, and? Because do you know how many X-Men fly and do something incredible? I don't need you. He goes, no, you need me. I can help. He goes, no, you're a giant bird. <laughs> and he starts being really mean and nasty. To him. Bird. Birdman, bird. Would you like some pasta salad? How about if I regurgitate it? <laughs> so every time Angel would show up in the movie, I'm going. <laughs> and it's no. a shame because Ben Foster is such a good actor. I know. And Mel's like, "What?" I'm like, "I'll tell you later." <laughs> it's just. So yeah, that was the that was the one fun thing. Yeah, I fun. Yeah. The one fun. The one fun thing. We had Katrina uh, over the weekend. I didn't get to spend any time with her. No. She was sad. Aww. I think I'm going to make up for it, but I'm, I'm going to go buy her a tricycle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm that parent. I'm going to buy my way back and make it as good <laughs> Sam's has got the cutest little Schwinn's. They're, you know, metal tricycles with the wooden backboard and everything. But they're so cute. <laughs> so. It's a tiny trike. We'll get one summer use out of it, and then she'll outgrow it. But, you know. Well. <laughs> That's what I did this week. <laughs> Glenn, what'd you do? A whole lot of nothing. We watched X-Men uh, Origins Wolverine on Thursday, right? We did it Thursday? No, we did it Wednesday. We did it Because we recorded Tuesday last oh, week. Oh, we did record Tuesday last week. So, yeah, we watched that. That was um, better than I remember. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's one Two-thirds of those... of it is better than I remember. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those movies that I, I... I never had as much issue with it. I'm, I'm the same way, but I'm the same way with... All of the X Men films so far is I, I never think they're as bad as everybody pans them, but I still it's one of those. It. You won't own it. I won't it's own one it. of those ones that the more I watch it, maybe it's I, I get some 
of the little nuggets out of it. I get, I appreciate something a little, not the whole movie, but I appreciate something out of the movie a little more, and so it becomes more. Or enjoyable you become numb to the stupid things. That well, could be too. <laughs> but, well, that's the thing is, you watch something, and then if you're irritated or mad about it, the you, second time it doesn't seem irritate, to bother but, yeah, you as much. Yeah, it doesn't seem to yeah. bother you as much, especially the little things, because that's the thing is, the first time I watched. X Men Origins Wolverine. I was I was a little frustrated by the little things, not realizing that there was going to be one big thing at the end that was going to really <laughs> piss me off. Was and, the little uh, things the claws? Because I still stand that the, no, the claws no, look the worst than that. The, they look like they're hand drawn. I, I have no quarrels with. I mean, they're not as good as some films. But they, I, I have no quarrels with the special effects. They were fine. Well, I, I don't have quarrels with the special effects. It's just the claws or the CGI. The metal, or the metal claws was the only bad thing. Yeah, only bad special effect I thought in the movie. Oh, I thought they were. It's because they went down to Walmart and bought fine. a plastic Wolverine claw set. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like they went to like 2D animators and said, here, put claws on this. <laughs> Make them shiny. Uh, I still, that's actually after the final tomorrow. Mel and I are sitting down and watching X-Men Origins, which I've still not seen. So mm. I'll be interested to see what you think of it. And you do or do not own it? I do not do own not. it because I hadn't seen Well, yeah, well, not that that means anything. <laughs> uh, I had to revamp that statement. Um yeah, so I, I rented it from work. Ah. So. I was never going to run out and buy it, but I found it in the uh, $7 bin. I wouldn't even pay $7 for it. <laughs> I found it in the $7 bin at Walmart. I, I would maybe pay 2 bucks on Black Friday. <laughs> maybe. But only if I was out for something else and I and happened was, to see it because I wouldn't go out on Black Friday. Say, uh, no, no. I'm surprised <laughs> Sean's not this way, but I'm a completist. If I've got one X-Men movie, I have to have all X-Men movie, no matter yeah, how bad you know, it is. <clears throat> even even my level of anal retentive must have all takes a backseat to the well, like Spider Man three, I don't own <laughs> because I can't bring myself to. Uh, oh, that's so, so that's bad. A, that's another one that, that like people are haters on that movie, and it's another one that it it was the weakest of the three, but it wasn't terrible. And there's things in it that annoyed me and really, frustrated really bad me. Things in it. This, See, I'm not, I, don't, I disagree. I think that overall it was a fine movie. There's things that that frustrated me about it, and I felt it was rushed. It was over. It was packed with too many villains at the time. But overall, I thought it was a fine film. It wasn't. I didn't hate it. It was, it was still Raimi directing. It. it was still Raimi style. It was. It was bloated, but it was good. It was still the same Spider-Man that Tobey Maguire delivered in the first two films, even with the emo weird. Segway moment they went with, and then you know, I mean, all, which, the, all which, the actors, which was and, funny. all the actors and actresses until did, did about a fine the five job, minute so. mark, and then it became really uncomfortable. Well, yeah, and, sad. and then he became it's, a jerk. It's got its and, flaws, but I, I, I'm not a hater of that movie either. I mean, it's, it's one of those films that I went when it came out. I went, I, I have to own that one. So I mean, I just I, I bought it. I, I think people maybe I need to watch it again. I, have, I honestly I haven't I watched people, it since the theater. I think the problem is people the have way high expectations for certain things, well, and I think maybe I lower my standards for some stuff. No, I actually, you know what? With each subsequent film of a franchise that comes out, I lower my standards each yeah. time. Well, because I have, have found to. that I don't get disappointed as often, especially when it comes to the third movie. The, yeah. law, the law of averages should definitely apply there. You should not be excited over the, the sequel to something, yeah. but. Well, it typically we is need a, a whole other podcast to go through well, what's wrong with Spider-Man Three from a <laughs> fundamental. <laughs> there are a couple of films like that where I own a, a few. Now, I will admit, there's also a few that I own because, yes, I found it on a great deal on Black Friday for two bucks. It was like, man, eh, all right. I own the Matthew Broderick Godzilla, that's which I don't think is a horrible film. That's, that's the see, that's the wrong reason to own a film. That's the wrong reason to buy something because it's cheap. That's just, that's silly. I own a film because I like it, not because it was cheap. Yeah. 
like I said, the Matthew Broderick Godzilla, I own that one because it was cheap, but because I also don't think it's as horrible as everybody makes well, it. Well, I'm the same way. I, 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 it's not a it's good fun. Godzilla movie, but it's a good it's a good action film. Yeah. It's, good it's a good action. disaster flick. Yeah, disaster film. So. Uh, and I do own all four of the Batman films, but mainly I own the fourth one just because I like to point and laugh at it. I don't own any of the <laughs> so Batman films, which is weird. Really? Yeah, I kept waiting. Well, because I was going to get... Actually, I had, a, I had three of them on... I actually had all four of them on VHS, and then I was going to replace them when they came out on DVD. And I never did, never did. And then by the time I got around to it, I thought, oh, I should replace those because I'm getting rid of my VHS. And I thought, well, I'll just wait till I get them on Blu-ray. And I'm just I waiting to get them on Blu-ray. Blu-ray. For some there's, there's a four-film favorites Blu-ray set. You get all four of them in one <coughs> slim Blu-ray case. For five bucks? Uh, probably not that. <laughs> I think it's 20, actually. Then I can't pretty, afford it yet. <laughs> close, actually. Yeah. Like after it's 20. Black Friday, I picked up... The first one for like five bucks on uh, Blu-ray. Yeah. I, I'd probably buy, buy it for five bucks. Um, but yeah, can't own Spider-Man three. No, I, I, I plan to own Batman. Ball and Steel, even though the flavors all. I don't even own uh, Dark uh, Dark Knight Rises yet. I just never have picked it up on Blu-ray. It's a great film. I just haven't haven't had the occasion or cause to do so. Well, Rises isn't as good as the other two. That kind of breaks the third mold. I think. It's not as good, but it's not as low as everything what? else. As all the other, like, third superhero movies. Oh, oh Rise oh, of... Uh, yeah. Dark, Dark, Dark Knight Rises. Rises, yeah. You said Rise, and I went Apes. Oh, I was yeah. trying to... It's not a third. Is he talking <laughs> Escape? Rises. No. <laughs> okay. Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. I got you. Did you know um, anything else? Uh, celebrate Mother's Day. And Holly's birthday, and right? Holly's birthday. At uh, my mom and dad's, we had a barbecue. Cake and ice cream. And Did you have a good birthday? Yeah. Uh, that Happy was birthday, Holly. That was all I did. Nothing too exciting. Been watching uh, well, all the season finales of everything. In fact, <laughs> Arrow was on tonight, but I haven't seen it yet. And Agents uh, of Shield Agents was, of Shield last, was night. last night. Did you finally get to watch it? Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, it was really good. Finally, Finally, finally found its feet. Although I, I, uh, I, I, I don't think it's ever been bad. No, I haven't either. And, and I mean, it certainly got better. And I could see some of the complaints that people had. But overall, it's been a great series. I don't care how in the wilderness it felt. Yeah, I thought it was good. It had some good and, compelling and it stories. All pretty much all paid off. I the, think too many the, people the, wanted the it. Part. I think the problem was is, is ABC and Joss Whedon promised that it was going to be part of the cinematic universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. From the get go, well, and it, it, it was. really wasn't. Well, well, it, I, it, well, aside for some name drops, it really wasn't what they promised. Well, but it got to be if, what they it, promised. But the, so. I don't yes, know that, that's true. I now keep in mind I haven't watched anything other than like the first five minutes of the first episode. But my understanding is that it wasn't necessarily what was promised, but I it was what had, we expected. Yeah, people had their well, expectations no, way too that's high. That's why people had their expectations way See, too high, because I that's what they were saying. And I thought to myself, okay, you didn't set your expectations high. In the pilot, but a lot and of people did. That, it's go and on. the reason I can say a lot of people did is because as you read the reviews and the process and the critics and everything, that's exactly what they kept complaining about, was the fact that it didn't have enough of a footing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's what they all said. This was just in all along. And it's based on the promise that they got. Now, I went into it the same way, not having too many expectations, because it was a, a new show. They had to find their own stories, and then later on they would tie into the, the universe yeah. as needed. And that's exactly what they did. And so that's why I've enjoyed that story from the very beginning, because I didn't set my expectations high on a promise. So, 
And, and, uh, and then ABC, I don't know, ABC just came through on the promise. Oh, absolutely. It just wasn't from the get-go, like everybody expected. Yeah. And any previous Joss Whedon fans should know that it takes a little bit to build to the awesome. Yeah. Uh, and, and there wasn't even an instance in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. like Dollhouse where there was just some bad episodes. Yeah. I think the be- some of the best writing on that show was the first three episodes when Joss was actually writing well, I think Jed and Marissa has been doing a good job with yeah, it. Yeah, they, they do, they do they, a fine and, job. And they have a very similar voice to him, I think. The, the stories have always been good. The best, Some of the best writing, though, has been mm. when Joss is writing. That's all I got. What would you do, Keith? Um, we watched 42. The Jackie Robinson baseball movie. Oh, right, right, right. How was it? That was pretty good, actually. I've heard good things about it. I I really enjoyed it. I I never watched it because I was disappointed. I thought it was going to be Hitchhiker's Guide. (laughs) I I found it really enjoyable. Uh, It's interesting how much Harrison Ford's character is It's as much his story as it is Jackie Robinson's, Mm -hmm. which was kind of neat. And I, I didn't know a lot about Jackie Robinson in general, so I was enlightened. And the guy did a good job with it. Um, Alan Tudjik did a really good job in being a despicable, which is pretty impressive. Uh, there was something else I was going to say about it, but I don't remember what now. Uh, and then we also watched Winnie the Pooh, the uh, 2011 film. And? I, I'm, I'm torn about it. It has the spirits of the previous ones, but it feels like it doesn't quite reach the level of storytelling, if that makes sense. Like, they were trying to... Maybe if they had done a more original story, instead of trying to take Hufflumps and Woozles and tweak it and do something similar to what's came before, I would have enjoyed it more. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) And it's not... It was, it was a completely brand new story, wasn't yeah, it? It wasn't it is. a um, a yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, I think the charm is that while they've, well, they've made a lot of changes from the source material in the first set, the mini adventures we yeah. knew, they were still based were still, solely in, well, you know, on and the core when, of the original writing. When there's so. only two books of Winnie the Pooh stories, you you're going to run out. Right. And it's not so much that it, it. I felt like they should have been more original with their storytelling. Like they could have had the. The style and the character... The characters weren't very different from what I've known before, but the spirit, just, I don't know, there's just something about it that felt like they were trying to retread something instead of doing something new in the same tone, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. Um, But however, (laughs) how much of the straight-to-video stuff have you watched and all of the other in-betweens they've done? That's true, I I haven't watched a lot of those. And the Tigger movie. Yeah, I haven't seen the the Tigger movie. this was far and beyond Above those. anything that they've done between the adventures, uh, the mini adventures of Winnie the Pooh and Winnie the Pooh. And so I went into it seeing the charm that the first one had with a little different take and, and a much better storytelling than they have been doing. And, and don't get me wrong, the, the things in between are geared towards kids. Well, yeah. And they're well, quite they're, enjoyable. They're and my daughter loved towards Well, kids. yeah, but I mean, it's more of a family audience for, I think, the the two bookend films, everything in between is really geared towards you know three to eight year olds. Oh, and yeah. so when I still appreciate it, I still enjoy watching those stories. Caitlin enjoyed those stories, but after seeing everything that came between, I think that this elevated to me that elevated the movie so much more because it felt like they oh, were okay. they were hitting that 
family level as opposed to that churning out something for kids to yeah. you know mindlessly watch. So hmm. now now I don't know if I'll go back and watch some of those. <laughs> <laughs> the the, Tigger, movie, on that the Tigger movie was cute. It was oh, okay. it, that's the, the best. Cute. Yeah, that's the best of all of those. But that's it still maintains Netflix, that. I think, yeah. So, but it still maintains that level of child humor as opposed to like the mm-hmm. broad family humor mm-hmm. that I think that the two feature length films. I use that too well, loosely, but that's what they consider. Them. Yeah, and it took me a little bit to get used to Craig Ferguson as Owl, but I really liked him in the role after I got used to it. And the guy who did Eeyore, I thought was pretty good. I mean, you can't not, not as good as Optimus Prime, though. Yeah, you're right. It that's wasn't the guy him. who does Eeyore is the guy. Who but but, Optimus I, but Prime. I went it was a different guy. It's, um, but I went and looked in Peter the mini, in the mini in many adventures. It wasn't the same actor. I don't think it wasn't. Him. It was an optimist in the many adventures, I don't think. I'm pretty sure it was. Was it? Yeah. Should be Peter Cullen. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm Peter thinking Cullen. a rabbit. I think. Rabbit is different. Yeah. Rabbit yeah. Well, Cause, even, cause even the Pooh's different. Well, different not, yeah. yeah. But this the guy who does Pooh and Tigger does a really good job. You can't tell oh, the yeah, difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely exactly not. Exactly the same. But the guy who did Rabbit and Eeyore passed away. Or not Eeyore, but somebody, the other guy, uh, Owl, passed away. So that's why. Uh, and then I watched Pacific Rim. Had you not seen that? I had yet? not seen that one. <gasps> I had so much fun watching that movie. <laughs> I don't know if I would say it's a good movie. It's cliche, but I didn't mind it. It had some great world building, and I ended up going out and buying the Blu-ray the next day. <laughs> that was actually part of a bigger purchase of other Doctor Who DVDs I made. It, that it, was my number five. It, it's, it's, it's very much like exactly what you said. Not necessarily a good movie. But you know what? We've got giant monsters and giant robots slugging well, it out. All right, go. And, and really what I was impressed by, I, I, there was much more to it than I expected there would be. I expected more, there, there was more depth than I expected. Unlike Transformers, where it seems like it's just, it's all just robots fighting each other. There was more depth, there's more thought put into it. It wasn't just giant aliens and robots fighting. There was more to it than that, and that's what I really liked about it, I think, more than anything else. But there were giant robots. But there were, yes. And those were some great bits. But there were large chunks where they weren't doing that. There was like an hour where they're not fighting aliens. And they're exploring and everything. It's I think it's a well-paced story. A fairly well-thought-out story, despite being predictable. Yeah. And Burton Gorman was a great surprise in it. I had no idea he was in it. Oh, yeah. Owen. <laughs> Owen. <laughs> a great role. Too, oh, really. yeah, it really was. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I don't think I've... I can't remember the last movie I watched like that that I had so much fun watching that I went out and bought it the next day. Speaking of... Uh, now, granted, you still haven't seen now, it, right? granted, had I been not going to the video store and if they had not had it and I would have gotten something else, I don't know if I would own it yet. Does that make sense? It, I, I got it because it was also convenient for me. Cause yeah. I was at a place where I could get it the next day. Yeah. Speaking of uh, people showing up, you did watch Game of Thrones, right? Oh, yes. That was in the promo. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't see. And, and it was I announced a while ago. See, and that's what, that was what blew my, my, my mind because when I saw him, I went, surely I would have. My first thought was, oh, that's. I don't want to say anything because I'd like to, him to get, be surprised. Did you know the actor who's going to show up? I know nothing. Okay. I go, oh, that's... 
And I went, maybe not, because surely I would have heard he was going to be in this. I, I, I remember hearing back when they, I think they filmed that episode that they had him cast. Uh, unfortunately, we can't tell. <laughs> we can't even refer to who we're talking to to our listeners, so maybe we shouldn't talk about that anymore. But anyway, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by oh, that. Yeah. Uh, and then other than, other than that, spent time with my sister and family. You're, you're good. We, yeah, we didn't say who we, we didn't say who it was. So. We never spoiled it. Uh, who? <laughs> yeah, just uh, mother. You know when Matt Smith shows up in Game of Thrones? Oh, God, <laughs> I blew it. Introduced my mom and uh, cousin to Frozen, who'd never seen it before. They both really liked it. Yeah, that was about it. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to join uh, Brittany's tweet along yeah, on Saturday night for, for Frozen. I I didn't intend to, and our day got away from us, and. I don't I know just, if I'll get to uh, do Saturday nights. Just aren't good for me to do tweet alongs, unfortunately. But speaking of tweet alongs, uh, go to our website and vote for when you want to do Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. What? Oh, Conquest isn't that bad. It's the other one. Uh, they're battle. both. They're both not bad. They're both. I think Battle's my least favorite of all of them. I can see that. Uh, the poll. It's currently open, but it will close on May 17th. So you've only got a couple more days. By the time this comes out, you'll have two days. Yes. Uh, right now, Tuesday, May 20th is in the lead. And I've taken Spoilers. I've taken into account uh, Disney with Friends and the Flicks with Friends with X-Men in planning these. So you got a choice of uh, about five different days. There. You guys are killing me. <laughs> And don't forget, tomorrow night we're doing, which will be Thursday night this week, because we postponed it a day, uh, we'll be doing X-Men First Class to be long at 11.30 p.m. Central Daylight Time. All right, all that's out of the way. And we're still discussing how we're going to do Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I like... I don't know if I liked doing apes a month apart. I think almost every other week would be better. It just seems too spread out between two, the films. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll discuss it. You won't have as many newcomers, though, to the Marvel stuff, I don't think. Oh, that's true. You people people can jump in yeah. wherever they want. And they've seen them all. All right, well, let's move on to news. News. Good news, everyone. First up, they've announced a new... Filming location. Okay, spoilers for anyone who wants to avoid any sort of series eight news. Now that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several minutes. So keep that in mind. Um, the for the first time I'm since leave. I don't want to know. <laughs> for the first time since 1984, the Doctor Who production team is heading to Lanzarote. The Doctor is returning to the scene of an old adventure, but there has been. S- but there have been sinister changes since his last visit. That's the quote from the BBC. For those that aren't aware, Lanzarote was last used in Doctor Who for filming the Peter Davison story, Plant of Fire. So you can kind of take that as you will. Well, I think that's where people are getting it, because the way that's worded, it makes it sound like he's going back there. Yes. And it was Lanzarote in Planet of Fire, too, right? That's, no, that it, was it, it, was, it was a plant. That was where they filmed it. Right. But I thought that's where Planet of Fire takes place at the beginning. I don't think so. 
Uh, desert, I thought that desert was... World of Sarn. Oh, is that Sarn. what it was? Yeah. Uh, well, then, no. <laughs> but they're saying... That they're, yeah. They're not saying if it's Sarn. They're not saying what the location is. Just that it's a we're returning to a previous location. It just happens to be a good spot to film. Yeah. Deserted uh, and there's there's specul there's desert planet. Random speculation um, involving either going back to Planet of Fire and what could be going on with that, or to another fiery place uh, where we last saw Peter Capaldi. So who knows? But we don't really know. We'll find out when it. Uh, Maybe when it airs. We don't even know an episode title or who's directing that episode. Well, if big changes have happened in Lanzarote, which is we're assuming that you wouldn't mention big changes in Lanzarote unless it was going back to Sarn. Maybe Charles. Well, no, making no. What turn. he says is he's returning to the scene of an old adventure, but there have been sinister changes since his last visit. Lanzarote is the filming location. Right, Lanz- Lanzarote is the no, real-world no. filming so, location, so which they said was Sarn two, in the show. Two separate sentences. Yeah, I think it's two separate right. ideas there. Or could be taken as either one idea or two separate ideas. Yeah, yeah. they're being vague on purpose. <laughs> All right, but big changes are afoot. From if, if it is Sarn, yes, it yes. could possibly be. Oh, I suppose, okay, I follow what you're saying now, is that they, they're going back to Lanzarote, to which film. doesn't necessarily mean that it's Sarn. It could be... A different, a different location. location within the From show. Previous, ah, yeah. I see. Yes. Be Gallifrey for all we know. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm betting that Turlo's going to come back. He's taken over as leader of the Sarns. <laughs> That's why they haven't announced any uh, casting for that one yet. Yep. Actually, it'd be really cool. If that would be. And well, because we never got the end of his story. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Raise your hand if you're dying to know what happened. <laughs> Uh, but speaking of casting, somebody else has been cast. Hermione Norris uh, is going to be in an episode coming up. Uh, is she playing a nun or a nurse? She plays a nurse on, or a nun That's what on the picture, called the midwife. That's what the picture was from. Yes. Okay. Uh, apparently, I I don't know about you guys. I've sure, never heard of her. Sure she doesn't play a midwife? Well, she might. <laughs> no, no, I'm pretty sure she... Well... Uh, having not watched Call the Midwife, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> um, she's very excited about doing it, and what, uh, especially since her kids will watch it. Uh, Moffat said it's a testament to the quality of uh, the writer Peter Harness's intense and emotional script that we've been able to attract the actress, the brilliance of Hermione Norris. And she's had quite the long career uh, <laughs> in television. A lot of things uh, I've recognized, but not seen, including MI5 and Crimson Field, Outcasts, which is in my Netflix queue. Is that a series? Mm-hmm. It's a sci-fi series. Actually, yeah, I think I've heard. I think I've heard of that. Berkeley Square. Uh. Yeah, lots of good stuff. No word on who she's playing or anything like that. So we will find out later. And then our last bit of Series 8 news is they've gotten a new director. Uh, She's directing two episodes. And it's Rachel Talele. 
she'll be directing two for the upcoming season. She has directed films like Tank Girl and Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, as well as episodes of Haven, The Dead Zone, Kyle XY, Supernatural, <coughs> and Continuum, Time Travel Show. So it's kind of a big deal because she's also American. So we're getting an American directing an episode of Doctor Who, and it's the first female director we've had since Amy's Choice in 2010. <coughs> that means there's hope for me. Oh, yeah, there well, you I go. I can hear it now, all the people complaining about how, how the episode was too Americanized. It was too Americanized. <laughs> Hopefully, <coughs> I, I know there's been a lot of outcry about not as much female involvement in recent years, so hopefully this will, <coughs> hopefully they'll focus on that instead of her being American. It's a step in the right direction. It is, absolutely. Speaking of Americanized, did you guys see that um, they picked up Karen Gillan's uh, sitcom? That's yeah. Going to, that's going to series. Did you did you watch the trailer for it? I didn't it? watch the trailer for it. I don't know. It's got Amy and Sulu in it. I have to be at least a little I'm, excited. Oh, George Takei in it? No. John Cho. Oh, John Cho. Who's in apparently every single TV show ever. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, if you cast him, then the <laughs> show fails. Yeah. Well, like, no. Sleepy Hollow's going still. Was he in that? He was in the pilot. I actually continued through that season despite dying. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Spoilers. He dies in like the first episode. It's not a big deal. Uh, you can't count that then. It's not like he curses it. He's If he's in a show for a long period of time, he curses it. Well, he's still returned throughout the series. Oh, I see. I guess in you can't in that kind of... Yeah. Um, yeah. It's weird hearing her with an American accent, too. <laughs> she pull it off all right? It's hard telling. I, I, it's she never got long enough lines in the trailer to really tell. Ah. And yeah, okay. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Is it southern or from the Bronx? <laughs> no. Oh, well, then we'll see. Ah, <laughs> uh, next up in news, Doctor Who and Wings. Uh, you've probably seen this. This was announced today that. Fathom Events is doing another uh, Doctor Who event, but this time, because <laughs> David Tennant narrated the BBC World, or what is it, BBC Earth? Wings 3D, a thing about geese. <laughs> uh, Wait. I think it's about geese. That's in the picture. Way to forge the forward there, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, it's about geese, and he narrated it. It's uh, just recently recut, for, recently recut for cinemas from the BBC PBS natural history series Earth Flight, Wings 3D, presented in real 3D, will put you in high in the sky in the middle of flocks of birds as they soar above the most iconic landscapes and witness the greatest animal spectacles on Earth. So it's not just geese. <laughs> but they're gonna. Uh, it's gonna be. A so it could be a flock of seagulls too. <laughs> it's gonna be a. Uh, and I ran. <laughs> I ran so far away. Oh, that's t- that's totally the theme of Doctor Who right there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's a two night event, June sixteenth. Did I never notice that? Seventeenth. <laughs> Let's keep plowing ahead, Keith. We're I'm just going. Uh, 
I haven't been able to find the list of cities that they're doing this in. Oh, I guess we should get to the Doctor Who thing. Doctor Who, Rise <laughs> of the Cybermen, and Age of Steel on the big because screen. Because that's really the only thing that ties us in. Yeah. I understand that Ta- and then is narrating that sort of thing. But from what I can tell, it's a double screening of those two episodes and then Wings 3D. Uh, and they have an... Uh, I can't find a list of what cities they're going to be doing it. Tickets supposedly go on sale sometime today. What good are you? <laughs> it's not my fault Fathom won't release these things. Don't try and, too hard, just keep moving. And they're gonna up, <laughs> it looks like they're going to update their theater list until the event date. So if your city isn't on the list and you want to go, check back and maybe it'll be there. I have a feeling what they do is they sort of gauge the popularity. Well, yeah, considering the like- popularity of the 50th, Something like this, they're certainly going to see how many tickets they sell. Sell right after uh, it goes. They go on sale, and uh, if they realize that the popularity is there, they're going to expand and add cities. It makes me curious of why they chose those two stories. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess it's a. It's I think a, it's, it's all a, the birds in in <laughs> in those two stories. <laughs> it's. I guess. Well, I mean, if you're going to do a David Tennant story, you might as well do a Rose one too. And two parters. You, aside from the season finale, this is the only one that can do it. And you might as well make a two parter to make it worthwhile to see it in the theater. Well, that's, so that, that's the, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I, I think they wanted to do something that was two parters, but stu- but as a standalone. You know, it doesn't have to be the uh, series finale or something. Something yeah. everybody could kind of sort of get on board and enjoy. They're not horrible stories at all by any. I enjoy any it just because Cybermen are there. I just don't know that I would care to go see that. And that there's other stories that I would rather see on the big screen that I probably would pay money to go see something that I already own on DVD in a movie theater. But uh, um, there, there also isn't a ticket price yet. Yeah. So that 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 would gauge a lot of if I would be interested, depending on the price of what this is. Yeah, I don't know. If you're into birds and Doctor Who, <laughs> flock to bird, your bird, movie bird. theater <laughs> today. Uh, flock to your movie theater. Uh, and you think I tried too hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next. It's the best I could do with this news we brought this week. <laughs> Eli Who and Yay! some new now guest announcements. Now we got some news we can talk about. <laughs> uh, I can talk about birds. Well, you didn't say much. <laughs> Would you like me to regurgitate some pasta salad for you? <laughs> Nicola Bryant is making a rare East Coast appearance. She is a hot bird. <laughs> also joining them is Dick Mills. Does it really say a rare East Coast appearance? Yes. It's not like there's been any opportunities for her to appear. That's why East it's Coast. rare, Glenn. Yes, so <laughs> the mean, last time she did. made an East Coast appearance was probably a Florida Con with John Nathan Turner in nineteen eighty six. Spin it any way you can. <laughs> They've been saying that about all the guests making oh, rare, East, rare Coast. East Coast appearances. Well, well, it's true because <laughs> there hasn't been any opportunities out there. It's all been West Coast and Midwest, so I, I suppose they have every right to say that. Also joining is Dick Mills, uh, special effects uh, sound guy from the Classic Doctors. Who was at uh, Gallifrey a few years ago. 
And I listened to him, and he was actually rather interesting. Went in to get off my feet, found myself enjoying the conversation. I think I remember listening to the Radio Free Scarrow interview with him when it was really fascinating. Um, And the guest of honor this year, Mr. Terrence Dix. Terrence Dix. That's exciting. That's very exciting. Now that Wendy's there and Terrence is there, I still probably won't go, but (laughs) I'm actually getting quite jealous now. Oh, there was a bit we forgot to mention. A bit of sad news. Oh no, uh, Paul. Paul uh, Sprague, Sprague with Big Finish passed yeah. away. Unfortunately, did they ever say what happened? He just had a seizure. So he was been ill, and then he had a seizure. No, he yeah, he wasn't feeling well. He was supposed to go in for a an appointment. They said that uh, paramedic. Uh, he called because he was out of breath and he couldn't wasn't going to be able to make it on his own. So paramedics came to take him. When they got there, they found out he was having he had had a seizure or something. And they actually spent an hour trying to revive him at his home. And then they got him to the hospital and... Two hours at home. Two hours at home. And then tried another hour at the hospital. Is that right? Another half hour. Half hour. And then, uh, yeah. I mean, that they um, that's, yeah, that's weird. But they, I never saw what he actually had been uh, I don't, suffering I don't, from. I don't think it's come out. Mm. Uh, this article doesn't say it. I think that was his partner, they said, that released that information to uh, yes. co-workers. Yes, Natalie Hayden so. issued a statement on Facebook. That's right. So that's some sad news. Yeah, it is sad. That's, he's been... he Actually, you look at his resume with Big Finish, he's he's kind of a one of those guys that's done a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, well, he was a producer wasn't he yeah but he's done he did like his list they listed like editor music, of vortex yeah. magazine recently well and that 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 was his big thing was he, recently he was uh promoted to editor of vortex yeah. magazine and, and he was mostly in charge of that but sounds like he had a hand in a lot of things there up until that point some not so sad news uh doctor who legacy updates yes what are those glenn um, well, as far as I can tell, <laughs> uh, right now they have added um, to the perk system. Um, it's my understanding that the uh, S perks system is now uh, available if you have enough stars <laughs> uh, from unlocking and, and leveling up characters. Um, I apparently am not at 180 yet, so I don't know. I can't get in there. However, they do have one uh, new perk in the perk one level. That you can try out. Well, you didn't try out. It's yours, but uh, you can open that now, unlock it, and uh, it allows you to do uh, to get uh, bonuses based on uh, gym combinations. So the three options with that particular one is if you can choose five uh, percent damage bonus uh, for a T formation, uh, you can do five uh, percent bonus damage for a cross visit, uh, setup. Or four or five across, so you get to choose on that. So that's all I know. I haven't got to look at it much other than that. Uh, um, looks like another update is the Miranda Cleaves Ganger that yeah, we got she the is code now, for. She is now added to. I did. She is in too. season five, level twenty, and also available in the store and the season five roll machine. <coughs> and right awesome. now, season five TV episodes are bonus XP. Yes, for this week. So if you're playing TV episodes. Getting one and a half times experience. Next week it will go to the 
fan area, I believe. Yes, that is correct. Is it just weekend or is it all week? It's all week. All week. For the last three weeks, they've been doing. They've been moving each. seven. Yeah, six, they started now with five. Six, uh, seven, then they went to six mm-hmm. last week, and now five. Yes. Oh, that's nice that it tells you new. Yeah, it does that on whenever you get anything added. It's been real good about that. All right, was that it for news? That's it for news. All right. Well, since you did all the uh, news talking, we should have uh, Sean read the first bit of feedback. Actually, our only bit of feedback, according <laughs> to Keith. So, if there's <clears throat> other feedback and I missed it, I'm very sorry, sorry, but I did not see it. He did, even he did you, look. I promise. We I even looked. gave you extra time to get it all in. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we rambled a bit this week, so it'll be nice to. Well, feedback this week comes from Chrissy, who writes a certain kind of intelligence. (laughs) I'm not sure I like your tone, Chrissy. (laughs) Dear Vortex Boys, so the archive on the great intelligence. The great intelligence is awesome. No, really. I like that of all the villains from Classic Who they could bring back in the 50th anniversary year, we got one that was sort of, kind of, hard to imagine as something concrete. I mean, we all know what a Dalek and a Cyberman look like, but how do you personify something that calls itself an intelligence? The answer? Any way you want to. Which, if you think about it, makes it the perfect candidate for an appearance in New Who. You can update it without retconning a whole lot. Plus, it makes it perfect for someone like Stephen Moffat to bring back, especially with his aptitude for making ordinary things scary. It's not that he made the Wi-Fi itself scary in the Bells of St. John. It's that he thought the great intelligence could take over something from our modern world. Why limit the intelligence to inhibiting simple Yeti robots? (laughs) That's the brilliance of the great intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) The eunuchs. We're going to have to tell that story. Uh, that's the brilliance of the great intelligence. It can be anything or anyone. There's really no way of destroying it completely, which, which makes it a formidable enemy, if a little cerebral for general audiences to comprehend. Probably a good thing to cycle it out with other things. <laughs> I really don't have much more to add. The Bells of St. John is one of my favorite companion introduction stories, and the name of the Doctor is frankly brilliant. Didn't get to downtime, though. Maybe sometime this summer when all my shows are in the off-season. Well, that's all I have to say this week. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I hope everyone had a fun day with their moms and other mother figures in their lives. Chrissy. Thank you, Chrissy. And a happy Mother's Day, which passed now. That would, would, have, been, would, would have been a brilliant thing for her to have read out that if <laughs> I hadn't had to postpone everything. So. That happened last week, too, didn't it? Yes, it did. <laughs> last two weeks are rough, man. It was Easter. No, it was Easter. It wasn't last week. It was yeah, Easter. It was Easter. We, were, we ended up recording late. Really? I thought it was two weeks in a row now. Well, no, we did been, record two weeks in a row, but uh, it was... I think it's been three weeks now, hasn't it? That we've been delayed? No, we were back on a we were back on track, and then we were then two, we yeah. went two weeks delayed. So. But it was Easter that we yeah, were delayed. That was, one, that was our first one. That was my fault, because Mason was sick. Yes. Aha! I suppose you can blame my six-year-old son. Uh, now, don't you feel guilty? I'm not going to blame him. <laughs> uh, well, let's start with our reviews. Yay! Yay! Time. 
The Brigadier and Sarah Jane investigate a New World University, a sinister school run, run by none other than Victoria Waterfield, and the gateway to Earth by the great intelligence which has taken her over. Dun, dun, dun! dun. And I'm, I'm giving it a bigger dun, 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 because I did manage to read both the novel and watch the uh, show again. So uh-huh. I have to say, watching this, I really enjoyed it. What? Yes, I, you did? I did. Oh, my God. Sean, give me your quick review. Wait, yes, 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 you like it? Mostly, you? yeah. Oh, good, good. I was afraid you guys would come here and just tear it up. Because to be quite well, honest well, with and you, really, this, <laughs> if, I, if I drill down to it, my whole sheer enjoyment of this is just the really kind of the fan way that this produces um ultimately maybe that's why i like it, it. everything that's in it is just a joy from a doctor who fan perspective if you were to set somebody down that wasn't a fan of the oh. series and, and had them watch this they would just tear it apart and had the you, quality and the writing and, and they everything. probably would not enjoy doctor who after the yes. fact oh, because, yeah um it is very. I, I think you also have to have the background on the great intelligence to also uh, be yes, able to absolutely. enjoy this. That's what I say. The whole thing is fan service. You got to have the a lot whole, of things lined up to be able to enjoy this. This whole thing is fan service. You have to have known, You have to have been steeped in some history of Doctor Who in order to enjoy any part of this. <laughs> Especially considering two of the stories are missing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or um, were missing when yeah, this was well, made. Were at the time that this came out. Um, because if you look at it, it's very disjointed. It's got a very thin thread of narrative in it. Um, it's not very clear a lot of the things that are happening uh, see, and I, why I, and the see, motives. I didn't feel very confused while watching. Well, I don't think it's confusing. I just think it's it leaves a lot empty. It leaves a mm. lot of questions. It's sporadic. Not, yeah, sporadic. So there you go. Sporadic's a better word. Maybe not. Yeah, sporadic is good. It's a very sporadic. And I mean, it, it makes sense from beginning to end, I think. But then there are things within it that don't make sense that are that maybe seem a little forced sometimes. It's as if you were to put a roadmap up on the wall and then load a bunch of ideas into a shotgun and fire and just let the buckshot go all over the map. And go. All right, now draw a line from this point to this <laughs> yeah, one. As yeah. long as they're on opposite sides of the right, map, and you'll right. get there eventually. There, there, there's, I mean, yes, you're, the the fan wank is totally the reason why this exists. And and you know, Mel asked me. She says, "So how was it?" Because uh, I watched it without her, and I said, "Quite honestly, I, I said it's impressive from a short." fan film standpoint that you got Nicholas Courtney, that you got Elizabeth Slayton, that you got you know Jack and Deborah Watling Waterfield. You got Jack Watling and, and Deborah Watling. And, and John Jeff, Leeson. And Jeffrey Beavers. And Jeffrey Beavers. <laughs> um, and you know, just the fact that, that that you were able to do that, that alone would have given me Giggle squee fits well, the whole thing. Uh, you know. I was still even impressed by the effects. I, I didn't think they were. Yeah, shoddy. even even the effects for uh, you know for what they were were fine, and they didn't change anything that didn't need to be changed. The the rolling ball, which I still think is the coolest effect in, and they Web still have the sound effect too. Yeah, to go with they, it. Beep, yeah, beep, 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 as it roll, and it, it looks the same. Um, you know, you, you get all that kind of stuff, and, it, and it's fine. It's you know, are there problems? Yes, there are some pretty huge ones. As a matter of fact, um, it, it's very disjointed. There's a lot of different segment ideas. It's like, okay, we're going to open in a monastery, and it's creepy, and it's a very Doctor Who open. 
And then John Leeson shows up in his Elton John from Rio del Dorado get up. And I was like, what are you wearing? That's not what a Tibetan monk. Okay, never mind. I'm going to let it go. Was that John Leeson playing? That was John Leeson playing. Oh, I didn't I'm pretty sure it was John Because no, he was also the DJ. Yeah, yeah he was I definitely knew, the, DJ. the DJ. I didn't realize he was Either way, I think he was woefully underused. Like, well. Let him play like 10 roles. I don't care. <laughs> Put him on a mustache and let him be passerby in the Park 7. Was, it, was, was the monk supposed to be the Lama? Was he credited as that? Uh, sure, Likely, why not? I yeah. know. Then it wasn't James. Wasn't uh, okay. it really? I, 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 I thought for sure it was John. Oh, Mason. Christopher Barry directed. Speaking of calling back to uh, other Doctor Who alums, but it's got this very Doctor Who open, and then we kind of flash forward fifteen years, and the Brigadier's lost in a astral plane, which was random. And then we go to a well, New Age college, where which is also a very Doctor Who felt like. Uh, uh, what's the one on uh, Pluto? Sunmakers had that kind of industrial overhead complex and a bunch of people running about doing nothing. And you know, it's like, oh, okay. I mean, they they had the feel down. It was, I mean, it's definitely a Doctor Who made by Doctor Who fans. You got that kind mm-hmm. of feel yeah. of it. And then Sarah Jane shows up and she's embroiled in something. And it's like, when is all this going to tie together? Yeah, the yeah. unfortunate and bit it, of it this takes is a long time to tie together. And that Sarah Jane kind of drops off through most of the story too. Yeah. yeah. I, I think she could have been utilized a little bit better in the story. Interestingly enough, I thought she'd be used more in the book, and her parts are expounded, expounded on, but she's really not in the novel any more than she is in the really? story. So it makes me wonder if that's just really what this Mark Platt there for the cameo. Yeah. Now, it's fleshed out a little better as what she's doing and what her early on. And what, what, why it's important for her to be there. I mean, obviously she's a journalist and she's been doing, she's giving information to New World because they're basically paying her to give information about the, the things that she's gathered on these people that she they, they were looking for. And then ultimately when she finds out who she's gathering information on, she tells him, you know, no, I, I don't have anything on because she's not going to yeah. give you know, up the information on uh, Lethbridge Stewart. Uh, on the brig, so yeah, I, I, it, it's fleshed out a little more in the book. But as far as the parts go and where they're placed throughout the story in the book, it's the same. Now, granted, huh. he did write the novelization after he wrote uh-uh. the screenplay, but uh, and and the, the the screenplay or the the uh, the sh- I keep, I keep, the film, I guess I should say. I keep wanting to say movie. It's not really a movie, but the film itself That's probably it could have been. Written in, in the sense that she was only available at certain times, and so that's oh, why there's some limited availability of her in it as, as well. So, because um, I'm sure these guys did this film for little to nothing as far as pay goes. Oh so, yeah, um, but to come back and replay these parts was fantastic. Well, and it's it, it's it's fun to <laughs> eat. It, this is, I think, one of the problems with the disjointed nature of it is that each of these individual segments works on its own. And each of them feels like a different era of Doctor Who. The bit with uh, Kate on the boat and the uh, coolies, whatever they were called. Uh, Chilies. Chilies. You know, that felt very Seventh Doctor era. It just felt like a plot line that at any moment Sylvester McCoy could have shown up and been involved in this story and Ace was going to come out from around the corner and instigate a fight with these guys <laughs> or something. But then the Sarah Jane segments felt very fourth doctor-ish that that was something that you know was going on in 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 that era despite the fact that you know she's a little bit older and everything it still felt like this is it and then the brick shows up and it's like 
Oh, it's Old Brig from Sarah Jane Adventures. Because <laughs> he, but it's not. But it's not. Well, it's more Old you know, Brig from Battlefield. You know, but yeah. it's not. <laughs> you know when this is, takes place? It actually takes place between. Oh yeah, uh, I did see that. What was the one that he was in with the Fifth Doctor? Um, oh, uh, uh, Mod One Undead. <laughs> yes, it takes place between Mod One Undead and Battlefield. Because the kid timeline. mentions him at the. Well, he's at, he is still living the house that he lives in. That is on the school grounds of what was Bremen? 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 The school? Oh, I didn't he, pick up. Oh, that. yeah, he he was still teaching there. In fact, that was the secretary that called the third or the the last phone call that he wakes up hearing is the secretary from the school asking why he missed the planning for his retirement party oh. for oh, his retirement party. He's about to retire, and uh, yeah, so that's was that, where was that in the novel or was that in the actual movie? Uh, <laughs> it's hard for me to separate the two, but I think I'm pretty sure it was. She says that specifically See, I, on the okay. on the thing, and he when he answers the phone at one point, he answers it, uh, Brenham School something. Oh yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't pick up on that, but yeah, I mean, I, I picked up on the, the student being a former student right, of his. Right. So obviously that kind of obviously right. post that, and he's not yet with. Uh, I can't remember the, the wife's name in Battlefield. He's not yet with her. He is right. still, still between Kate's mom Barbara. and Barbara? this no, lady. Barbara. Barbara. Uh, Carol? No. Anyway, there's, anyway. There, there, he still hasn't met her and hasn't started his second marriage with her yet. So hmm. the gal that the, the, the wife that's in Battlefield, uh, yeah, Battlefield, is not Kate's mom. That's the second wife. Right. Yeah. So, and obviously, Doris. The first. Doris. Doris is the one in Battlefield, you. yeah. Um, what what yeah, I was really was. impressed by with this story is the realization of the intelligence, actually. Unlike what came before, and I think this actually benefits Bells of St. John, the exploration of it being on this astral plane and this, all of that stuff really expounds on the intelligence and helps give you a better grasp of what the intelligence is and helps lend to the idea of what's happening later in Bells of St. John and then even somewhat in Name of the Doctor and what came before of how this being exists. And it's so well... I don't know if it's well realized, but it's well explained. Well, the thing is, I think we finally get a visualization of something that's only been really dropped in Name or, or <clears throat> yeah, has been dropped a name in Abominable Snowmen and uh, The Web of Fear, let alone well, The Snowmen, well, and see, which that's is written after this. More, but. more so for <clears throat> Snowmen and all the new series. The previous ones almost comes across as it's an entity hijacking a body. Yeah. More than being this existence elsewhere, like Downtime gives it. And... The Snowman and all the new series gives it that this experience—it's this entity elsewhere and living elsewhere instead of in, literally inside a body. Where the classic well, Who, see, I never, it I, always felt to me in the classic Who that it's like almost more—it could be an alien parasite controlling oh, see, a, I, controlling I, a just puppet. because of the, just because of the mental mind control aspect. I, I of never. It. Well, yeah, because I, they, they don't re, they don't give us an example of what the intelligence could be like. It's always behind somebody's face that it's like... Yeah, I see. I disagree it's, it's because I like think... It's almost like it could be like... Uh, I want to use an example from Supernatural because like the demons are these smoke that 
take on a human yeah. form. Yeah. But, See, you know, I didn't get that at all from the first two. So I, I, they've always made it clear that it's a it's this being that exists and uses material things as kind of the portal between the real world and the astral plane. And I think they've always made that clear well, see, to me. And, and, and that the the existence, podcast, his the, existence is kind of omnipresent, but is not omnipotent. And so he has to use vehicles, because even in Abominable Snowman, he was manifesting himself and, and making his orders in Padma Bambava. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he was also able to take control of Vicky at the same time. He was also got the impression that uh, he was he needed the power source that was in the cave because he was he was essentially using that as a connecting point to the to reality um so i mean it, it was almost like he was always present but he had to use certain vehicles in order to i mean same thing with um uh web of fear he was never really in one person the whole time he was in, in several people because other. he used arnold he used travers he used well, I think that was it in that one, but he was also existed in the in the, in the pyramid, in the sense that that's where the doctor was going to go in, so that he could mm-hmm. basically take his mind. So I never got the impression. I, I don't think the astral plane part of it is visually realized well, as well as it is in downtown. And I don't and think I it's agree well, with I don't that. Think it's as well explained in the previous stories. In the, pre- in the previous stories, because I think we really last, only last got one you line. Mentioned the astral plane, and I didn't, plane I didn't quite well, understand yeah. what you meant. Having just seen those until watching downtime. Yeah. See, Web of Fear uses Astral Plane a lot less, but. Uh, oh, see, maybe that's my problem, then, because I still have watched Snowman. certainly Snowman, mentions but, it a few times. Uh, Web of Fear, we only get the one drop line about something in space, you know, and, yeah. and that was kind of it. I never heard anything about Astral Plane, but if it's from Snowman. Well, certainly mentioned because he, when the doctor's relaying to. I think it wasn't even the brigadier yet. It was the other guy that was in charge early on when he was trying to explain. No, he was trying to explain it to um, um, Ann Travers, I believe it was, when they were discussing what it was. And he talks about it falling to earth and and uh, or something <laughs> something drove it to earth, and it yeah. is, and its existence is on the astral plane. And he essentially lays it out that way. So, See, I guess I still didn't pick up Astral Plane. I agree with Keith on that aspect of it that I think it was better realized. But the Astral, here. no, I think I think it is. It is better realized. Better realized. It's, it's still, confusing but I never got the impression. When we open with a, the Brigadier on it, <laughs> and it's like that was the other thing. Is I, I think I think some of the editing on this suffered a little bit because. from the way it was broken up into all these different stories, as if to say, "Hey, look, we got the Brig. Hey, look, we got Sarah Jane. Hey, look, we got this." I almost would have rather had a longer chunk of the Brigadier stuff all at once leading up to him waking up. Then go to Sarah Jane and a longer chunk of her stuff leading up to this and then I'll, you know, go over yeah, here. Yeah. And, and and just get, as opposed to the quick bit here, bit here, bit here which put all the pieces on the board but gave me no idea what game we were playing. <laughs> right, right. Again, nitpicking. No, it's, but, no uh, it's, those are certainly valid points which is again why I, I, I've watched this twice. I watched it back several months ago after... Uh, the snowman. When I went back and I, I decided to do everything up until Bells of St. John that existed with the great intelligence just so I could you know catch up and kind of fill everything out. And I watched it then and I was very intrigued by it. In fact, it was more of a, not necessarily I liked it, it was more of a, just, I had this fascination with it. That they had they had utilized and so well connected like it to the, pri- the previous stories. They had done such a good job of connecting that. But I was always kind of just 
even after the first time watching it, I was still quite a bit confused with what was going on. I, and I was genuinely confused. And then it wasn't until this time that I watched it again that I thought, you know, I really do enjoy this. And the majority of it is because of the fan service that it pays. But, I re- again, I like the connecting factors that this really feels like the third part of a trilogy. It really does. Yeah. It, it really does. And so, and it just continues to, I mean, because, you know, the first time it's 1930s Tibet, the second time is 1960s London, and the fourth time is 1990s. Well, it's probably not 1990s, but it's, it's you know, supposed to be 25 years ish. later. Yeah, ish. But but you know, there's there's about 20 to 30 years in between each one, which I thought was cool. And uh, so I, I watched it this time, and I, I really was. I, I thought, you know, I'm not going to read the the novel. I don't have time to do that. And it wasn't until I sit down and watch this Friday that I thought, you know what? I'll just start reading the novel to see see you know what it does. And my, my first thought thing was, as I went to the end of the novel to see kind of where they went from the point that it ends, because it always felt like it kind of abruptly just ends. It's, it's one of those, you know, everybody walks off, the, the brig goes off with his grandson, and, and Sarah and uh, Kate go off to have, a, 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 you know, tea or a pint or whatever they, were, <laughs> they, they finally decided on. Um, but it always seemed a little abrupt to me, so I thought, surely that's not how the book ends. Surely they, and sure enough, there's a, basically an epilogue on it. Because my 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 biggest dissatisfaction is the fact that I don't know what happens to Victoria after yeah, yeah. after uh, they drop. And so her. I went and I read the la- the kind of the epilogue. I think it's the last chapter, but it's, it it would be the epilogue to the story, and was just fa- I, I just I, I fell in love with the novel just from the end because I went wow because in the novel, do you want to know? Yeah. Or do you want to yeah, go back I, and read it? Well, I'm going to go read it anyway, know, but probably. It's a little bit of book in, but well, maybe there's a little spoiler here for me. Anyway. At the end of the novel, we flash forward to Victoria, who is been sort of on the run or hiding. Necess- not, not necessarily. There's not a lot of time that elapsed that they don't give the impression, but she has been visited once by the fourth doctor. Now, we don't get that visitation, but she makes the allusion to it as she's talking to a gentleman in a gallery where she's looking at photographs of her, that were taken of her when she was little in the 1800s. They're, they weren't really photographs. They're, uh, what do they call them, tin, tin plate, tinographs, or whatever they called them back then. Right. She was part of a photo session in her childhood when she was six, and the photographer was Lewis Carroll, and I can't remember his real name, but she refers to him as his, her real name. So she's looking at these pictures that are on display in this Lewis Carroll gallery now, and this guy shows up in a rather flamboyant coat and... Uh, blonde grayish hair <laughs> and it's the third doctor and he's basically there checking up on her and he she doesn't equate the fact that he's the doctor but she knows she said that uh, you know another per, another guy that visited me had curly hair and a, and a rather eccentric scarf also said that he was the doctor and so she's assumed that her doctor the second doctor has sent both of these gentlemen and essentially it was it's the third doctor checking up on Victoria to see how things have gone, how she is. And at the end, she's she's remorseful for what she did. She realizes she made a mistake, but she says, you know, I really should turn myself in. And the doctor essentially gives her a note basically saying, go easy on her. <laughs> and, that you know, she didn't really have control over what she was doing and kind of gives her a uh, a way of turning herself in but not being punished too severely for what she did, just basically by signing this note for her as, as scientific advisor for unit. So and she goes and turns herself into unit. So 
it was a nice resolution to the story for me. Hmm. So I was blown away by that. I thought that was really cool that the, the third Doctor shows up in this. And rightfully, they fortunately, Mark Platt got a chance to use the Doctor because then when I, I did that, I went, okay, maybe I do want to read this. So I went back to the beginning and started from the beginning. And as I'm reading, there's a point where they start off right at the end of Web of Fear as they're leaving. So the second Doctor and Jamie have a small piece in this book as well. And so uh, I, I say that it's in flashback because she's kind of... It, the, the first, honest to God, 50 or 60 pages of the book is Victoria from... The, I don't know if you know anything about Victoria, but she was actually left... What happened was in Evil of the Daleks, her father was kidnapped, or she was rather taken hostage by the Daleks. The Daleks ended up killing her father right, on Scarrow. And she was only 14 at the time. I didn't realize that she's supposed to be 14 in the series. 14, 15, around there. That because her father died, her mother had died when she was young, she had no family, she was stranded on Scarrow, and so the Doctor and Jamie essentially took her, and that's why she ended up on the adventures mm. with him, with them. Mm-hmm. And so it, it actually goes a long way to explain the fact that we kept saying you kept saying she's sort of underused. We were saying it was she was kind of strong in those episodes. Finally, but it, based on what we had before, she's always been kind of that character that was supposed to be the Danville and Dismiss. She was supposed to be what Susan. Yeah, we yeah, were trying to do with like. Susan, the, Susan in the beginning, and that's why she left. That was the idea of what they were doing. Was she was really they were kind of surrogate parents to her, and so they were always trying to protect her, and that's why she's always sort of sidelined or she's screaming or scared or taken prisoner or whatever because. That was her role in the show. That was her, the character's role. So, anyway, she was then left at the end of uh, Underwater Menace, I believe it is, is where she leaves the show. And she was left with a, a, a gentleman and a um, lady in the 1960s, I believe, at that point. And she, they basically became foster parents to her, and she stayed on Earth, and that's where her story ended. Is that the dad that she's referring to in No, Downside? she's referring to her actual father who was killed in Scarrow. In fact, she makes mention in there, when she's talking to Trapper, she says he world. was killed on another world, okay, you know, millions right. yeah. of miles away from here. Yeah. She makes that reference. But the, 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 I don't want to go into too much of this, this and, and bore you guys, but... The, the first 60 or 70, really 50, 60 or 70 pages of this was is, is Victoria from, somebody comes to her with a will because they're trying to track down, because her father, I think it was uh, Edward Waterfield, I think, or sure. I can't remember. Her father, anyway, very wealthy man. In fact, he was a scientist and they were, that, that's what ended up getting them transferred to Scarrow because he was doing experiments with a mirror and, and they, uh, anyway uh, we already but made anyway, that movie <laughs> he was rich they were they were they were they were high class victorian era a family and so years later a guy comes to him and he's he's, he's tracked victoria and because waterfield is such a rare name there must be she must be related in some way and so that's how she ends up getting the money in order to start this new world uh but she goes to Tibet, and then there's a whole, there's a whole lead up to her leaving and going to Tibet and finding a guide, and then f- ending up with this blind monk, and this other guy and another like adventurer guy gets her the guide, takes her, they take her to Tibet. Uh, when she gets there, there's what the blind monk that's been traveling with them that hasn't said a thing gets there, and then he starts to warn her, and that's where we pick up in the in the show. Okay, and he's warning uh. her, don't don't. Don't do this. Don't disturb it. It's revealed to us in the book 
that that monk is Tomlin from the Abominable Snowman. That's who that is. He's now the abbot of the monastery. And they're blind. All of the monks are blind. And I didn't think I really picked up on why, but it was almost a discipline that they did. And part of it was because of this entrapment. Because the the, uh, uh, great intelligence was still trying to get through, but it was trapped. Whatever the doctor had done to send it back to the astral plane, it was trapped. And uh, somehow it it got Travers, lured Travers to Tibet. Travers got caught up in it. That's not true because they said he was dead later. Anyway, anyway, so that's where that starts and and, and picks up there. But there was a whole lot of exposition and lead up. And it actually makes you sort of feel a little more understanding as to why Victoria did this because she's continuing to hear they also talk about how she's starts to learn how to do astral projection which kind of mm. gets a little wonky there but then also if he exists on the if the great intelligence exists on the astral plane it makes sense that she, you could that's a place you could physically travel to so she's been having astral projections she's duped into believing that it's her father that's trapped there and she starts to believe that and so that's why she does that in the process, they also kind of reiterate the idea that whatever this is, she doesn't recognize it as the great intelligence. She recognizes it as some sort of spiritual force that's going to deliver the great truth to the earth. And and, and the, uh, the light of truth, I think is what it's called. And so that's why she sets up, she uses the money that her father left her to set up this university, excuse me, university in order to do this. So she's really been coerced this whole time. And sure. she doesn't, she's yeah. a victim of this, which I don't think, I think that the, the film does a good job, a, a decent job of, of conveying that, but the book does a much better yeah, job like of conveying See, I never, I never thought that she was a true villain in oh, this no. piece. Yeah. I, I got the sense that she was either A, under control, yes. or B, Which I think that's duped. mostly what she is. But I think it's but a little bit of both. I also, again, you have to come down just a little bit on the, okay, you went to this monastery in Tibet where you <laughs> encountered this thing, and now you believe that your father is trying to come back through the astral plane in the same place. Where, where you were before, yeah. And, and maybe it's just one of those things of, Quincy, you, know, you, 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 you see what you want to see. <laughs> right, and right. had there been a Jamie along on the adventure, he would have said, do you not see the correlation between this and that? You can't, you can't be serious. It's the, it's the bad guy. Well, and I can't remember for sure, but it, because of but the fact been that, left alone well, for because so of the fact that she well, was so young, and this was twenty five years later, I think yeah. also you know she she was called out from there, but she doesn't necessarily. She, I don't think she really kind of under understood what really the great intelligence was and yeah. what had happened at even the the London event, as they continue to call it in the... <laughs> they called it in the, in the movie, too, but yeah. in the book, it's the London the event. The London event. And at one point, they say the uh, um, the Tibet event <laughs> as well. <laughs> and, and then this one will be known as the second London event. I think that's what they call it. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that... I don't know. It's Victoria winds up becoming, in my mind, a very tragic figure. Because well, in I a mean, way, she's the precursor to Kislet. Yeah, well, I'll get into that in a minute. But but just from a companion standpoint, so okay, very first adventure, your dad's dead. <laughs> you get picked up with the doctor. You get kind of get Shanghaied into all these adventures with him, and then you get uh, not left, but you 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 were left to okay. Here's a home for you. Okay, fine. Admittedly, it's 
how many years down the road. So just the transition to yeah, that is going to be huge yeah. fish out of water thing. But she never gets over the fact that her dad's gone. Now she goes through this whole thing, getting to the monastery and getting money and, and, and getting all this stuff so that she can set up the, the astral projection thing to get to her dad back. And none of that winds up happening. In fact, it turns out having a complete bad effect that she's once again opened the door for the great intelligence and he comes through. So then she spends however many years on the run, only to be given a note at the end where, yeah, you should probably turn yourself in and here, here's a well, get, I out, say, don't, so get out of jail free I get the impression it was only a few weeks. Well, okay. so she wasn't running for a long time. She just she wasn't sure quite what to do and she knew that she needed to turn herself in. She just wasn't quite ready to do that yet. And, and the doctor, I mean, I like the fact the doctor's checking up on her and making sure that everything's okay, but then the fact that he gives her a good out-of-jail-free card, and yeah, you should go turn yourself in, almost like, ah, uh, it's kind <laughs> of a downer to that story. I mean, she's had a hard run of it the yeah. whole time. So, Well, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense. I think the doctor's the one that realized that, you know, you kind of got yourself into a mess, but it was more inadvertent, so it could be worse for you. I'm going to make it easier for you because I have an affection for you. And and basically, I was a surrogate father to you for some time. So, yeah, I I don't know. It totally makes sense to me. And I I love the fact that they... uh It it was kind of lurking in the back of my head through the whole thing that we have Sarah Jane and and, and Victoria in this same story. And then uh, Planet... Uh, Pyramids Mars, when Sarah Jane shows up wearing <laughs> that dress, yeah. and suddenly it hit me. It was like, oh, that's got to be a little creepy, weird for the, just for the two actresses to know. Oh, I, I wore your costume once, you know. <laughs> How do you have that discussion? And then they worked the story in at the end when yeah. she's telling the break, and then he said this, and it was like, Ooh. well, and, and I like how Sarah didn't really equate that it was a, and, you know, that it was this Victoria that she thought because she's made the comment about. How she thought, well, it, at least it wasn't Edwards. Well, she was thinking like Queen Victoria or whoever, yeah. you know, <laughs> it was their, her previous dress, but it actually was Victoria. It actually was Victoria. So that was neat. Also, one of the other callbacks to, um, I think it was Pyramids of Mars, that uh, drove me nuts. The gun. And I think she just said it. I think she just offhandedly said it because she didn't want to. But when she says, I'm a, <laughs> I'm terrible, a terrible shot, shot. <laughs> my thought was, no, you're not. <laughs> the alarm bell went off. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm going to no, chalk it up to the fact that Sarah didn't want to use the yes, gun. Yes, I think that's, that's what it was. That she was, if Kate could use the gun, then she, Kate could go ahead she, and use the gun. She, she was going she to, to, and, and uh, Kate with a gun. Isn't that an odd little, uh, hi, you hypocrite, you. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy wore well, off on you. <laughs> but I think that was that was good because I, there, there's also that exploration of the fact that the brigadier had to keep his life such a secret that he basically alienated his daughter so much that she doesn't she she doesn't she hates him now she doesn't like him she doesn't want him to have anything to do with his, her life and to make it even worse is she believes that that was the same reason her mother left him yeah. is because of the fact that he had all of these secrets and that you know he would say he was off doing military stuff but that he couldn't tell them about it and so she was she's very jilted by that <clears throat> and I love the idea that she's she's so jilted by that that she's this kind of peace loving you know pacifist. <laughs> Well, I know that's a heavy, but pacifist. That, and she's trying to raise her son differently. And she gets agitated at him when she finds out he has the gun. But then the gun ends up being used in their kind of, I mean, it doesn't end up working for them. But it ends up, you know, a necessity at that point when they're attacked by the Chili's. And then when the gun is left, 
her realizing that her father's gone into danger, he's going to need this. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was this nice little flip-flop back and forth of, just as you said, wow, <laughs> you having the gun, and then her having the gun, and, and at a point where she almost needed to use it, and then she ultimately gets it back to him. Kate is the probably the strongest part of this story for me. I, mean, I, I, I really... Yeah. And I can I can I can still reconcile. I can still head retcon the this Kate and Well, there's nothing wrong with it. Future there's Kate. Not, these these wrong. are part no, of this, the, no. this is the, you know, this is her this is her arc. This is what happened. Yeah. And that it's probably because of these events that she wound up going yeah. the direction Absolutely. that she did. I'm totally And to be quite honest with you, I sincerely believe that Moffat is a fan of this piece. Well, just looking because at the parallels between this and Bells of St. John with yeah. the computer systems and everything and then yeah, to introduce Kate later in the series and the very least use the name the Kate and not throw away this idea I'll, I'll let you know a little secret here I don't know if you guys know this Kate, this Kate or this Kate in, in this series is in another real time film playing Kate Stewart Kate Lethwich Stewart called Demons Rising where they return and, and her and somebody else have to face off against Dazal <laughs> so, oh, really? yeah, so there's another tie-in Doctor Who thing, and, and, and it's because of this story that I think she goes on to to do that, and then I think because of those events and her ties to what's going on in these is why she proceeds to go on and become, uh, not scientific advisor, she's technical director of unit or whatever well, she she's is. She's not head of, or um, sorry, she's not, she's not in uh, real time, though, right? The first one, her Shakedown. She's not in Shakedown. She's not in Shakedown. But she's in, you know, no, 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 okay. not at all. No, Shakedown's a whole different thing. Okay. Yeah. It's set in the future. and It's the same production. It is the same so, production. Right? Okay. It, is, it is real-time production. Yeah. Okay. I just didn't know if it was a and I don't know trilogy that, of these yeah, things. No. Or if it and was I don't think a, Demon Rising has a uh, novelization or not. Shakedown and Downtime both do, but I don't think Demon's Rising does. What I, what and Demon I, Rising, by the way, this was made in 1994. Demon's Rising wasn't made until 2004. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I was shocked by wow, that. Wow, I, I saw that. that. Yeah, so ten years later, I, I agree with Keith that th- this is where this is really kind of weird. That you can look at Abominable Snowman and Web of Fear and Downtime, and it does form that kind of great intelligence trilogy that it really pairs up nicely because of the events, because we've got Yeti, because we've got this Tibet connection, and, and the way the the, the intelligence's mo works. But then, because of the fact that it's now inhabiting the computer system and the uh, the internet, which is a stroke of genius, that's the best thing about yeah. this whole thing oh, yeah. is how oh, that was. Yeah. And you can totally see Moffat went aha, and yeah. you know just moved it to the Wi-Fi. It was just it's right. the way we access well, information as opposed to the information. Takes it to the next level. Exactly, yeah. it's, it's upgraded. But if you take um, even the Snowmen and Bells of Saint John. And name of the Doctor, which kind of form a trilogy of its new own. trilogy yep. of its own, but downtime still works as a piece of that. Well, it's a wonderful bridge because it's this bridge oh, it's between these two bridge. things. It, yeah. it, it works yeah. so well as Moffat was. That piece. Moffat knew what he was doing. I think he certainly took all of the three things that had come before and built his three things around that, and nicely melded everything together. Yeah. I think he did a wonderful job of that. Um, Something that the novel does uh, is it, it makes the... Something that I felt that the film didn't do was make you realize that the, that the the effects that were happening, you just really kind of see on the street with the traffic lights being all bugged out, 
The book really shows you that it's more of a global event, that there's a virus in everybody's computers, that something mm-hmm. is going wrong with the Internet, See, I just and things got are that being affected and taken over and, and shut down. And, in fact, Unit is, has to, is, it basically had to shut down all of their computer systems so nothing else could get in. And, went, and we started relying on hard files and hard copies, as they did in the 1960s, because they couldn't use their computer systems. So it's really more of a global thing going on. And the only other thing that really in the film ties it in the fact that it's a global event is the fact that they use that satellite image when it finally uh, uh, uploads to that satellite mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. sky and then you see the webbing or the yeah well the energy web kind of start to encircle the globe as well so that's the only real impression that you're getting that's an, a global event from the but book <laughs> yay for keeping web yeah as <laughs> the theme well it just we, we talked about why are the you know why are Yeti shooting web, web shooters you know and that yeah. kind of stuff, but it 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 just I don't know it it just made sense that of course it has to yeah. be this big giant web thing that's over. Yeah, yeah all right, I'm you know it made me happy. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. What did not make me happy? Anybody else get that little twinge when um, somebody says uh, Lethbridge Stewart? Well, your time with Unit in the seventies. <laughs> and they never drop the rest of, now yeah. I know that that's become a new I, series I did thing one of those. but I just <gasps> you pinned it down <laughs> that still makes it one step from official I know <laughs> yeah I, I did I did that as well. I just I, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop or the 80s I, they never dropped I was like oh no <laughs> I think the one thing that bothered me watching the movie was that the, the Yeti were always robots and now suddenly, the little spheres can roll up and then, boop, you turn into a Yeti. Yeah. Which in the novel is realized a little better. Because in the novel, the, the sphere actually drives into their chest. And then the Yeti kind of hulk out. You know, the, 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 the people turn, they don't just, like, pop, and then they're a Yeti. <laughs> they actually kind of hulk out, their clothes they tear the off, and they, be, they actually and... go through a, 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 a werewolf-style transformation. Uh. So I'm a little better with it, but it's just, they don't really quite explain how the great intelligence has now designed the spheres to transform <laughs> people into yetis, but I was, I, I just rolled with it. And, and, and why? Yeah, well, well. <laughs> because if you are going to design that into a ball, that it's going to use nanites or whatever and yeah. go and infiltrate a body and become this gigantic it grows in my head it grows robot arms and everything and you know you do you hulk out why yeti <laughs> i thought it, did it makes another, a connection in another, london another interesting, another interesting thing about the novel is at the t- at this time there are actually yetis in captivity the london zoo has one there huh. are three different types of yeti one is called the traverse which is actually named after Travers because he, not while well, he didn't necessarily capture the first Yeti, he was the first one to spot and identify one. Mm-hmm. And the particular Yeti that he did was more bear-like than Yeti Yeti. But there, there are there's the Yeti, the Traverse, and or Traversi, and I don't remember what the name of the other one is. So in this universe, Yeti exists, and they've actually at this point. <laughs> in fact, there's this wonderful thing where Sarah goes to the. Uh, Exhibition because they're getting ready to the zoo. The London Zoo is getting ready to, I believe, 
they have Yeti, and they're about to give one of the Yeti to the Chinese, and there's this whole diplomatic event, and the prime minister's there, and the Yeti ends up biting her. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> but I mean, it was just this little small thing, and it was obviously a nod to the whole, you know, the opposition. Uh, obviously, Mark Platt did not like, was not a Tory, and did not like uh, Thatcher, but uh, and, it's, and it is Thatcher. I mean, it's... it's he spells it out that it's Margaret Thatcher and everything, but it was it was cool. But yeah, that's that is actually you know we kind of speculated last week when we were talking about the existence of Yeti and how they were playing fast and loose with that. Well, he nails it down here that yeah, in this particular universe, in this timeline, Yeti do exist, and we actually have a few in captivity. They're peaceful; they're not violent or anything. But so unless you're the prime was, minister. <laughs> He was still going for the the Yeti theme. <laughs> okay, that okay. You know what? Suddenly, that actually makes a little more sense to me now. That it's not still some random robotic mythical creature roaming around the, <laughs> right. the, the, the Himalayas. We okay. There are real Yeti, and we have them in the zoo. All right. So oh, it, wow. it, it certainly helps. And the glowing red eyes. Uh. One thing I did find interesting about this, I. It, it almost seemed to help clarify the Yeti figures even more. The fact the, the locusts. I don't. I don't know. For me, it just helped me understand what they were used for. I knew they were used to move the Yeti around, but this added more depth and more explanation to it. I thought. See, and I didn't quite get that out of the film when I read the novel and realized that when the Doctor had was doing what he did at the end of Web of Fear in order to basically dispatch of by using his mind. But what he did is he ended up trapping uh, the uh, intelligence on the astral plane again. And in fact, he's lamenting that at the end. Because that wasn't, that wasn't part of my plan. I had this whole thing worked out. Well, the idea was that what happened is when he trapped him back on the astral plane, it set up these different keys in different places, and one of them happened to be one of those Yeti statues that it was he a horcrux. Used. Yeah, it was a horcrux, <laughs> and so that was the idea: is that they had continued to track down all of these devices that were keeping him trapped, and they found all of them except mm. for this one that the brigadier had, or obviously given to Kate, and then that on, expounds on, the on it. But it, it, it makes so yeah. I, I when I read that, I kind of like the idea that oh, it's it's this basically a key to his prison. And this is the last piece of that key that has to be destroyed. So it actually made more sense reading the novel after. But but I, I liked the idea, I liked the imagery, and I liked the fact that the brigadier, while you know everything I, I took out, I put back in or whatever, and he makes that conversation with uh, Cavendish, which it's another thing that the book does a wonderful job. That was another problem I had with Cavendish is that story is so min- like minute and small, and you, and Cavendish obviously is just one more person that is working for the great intelligence in order to try to find this lad, the Lotus. Yeah. Lotus? Locust. 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 Find the Locust. Um, but in the book, we were talking about this last week, about how uh, the event, the London event probably was the catalyst for, well, you, you, you obviously pointed to the fact that in the vision, the, the Brig mentioned, mentioned that, but that the reason why the Brigadier ends up being in charge there's a nice little piece in the beginning of the a book about how the brigadier is reading a letter from the London government that he is he had sent a, a letter say, you know saying based on the event that happened here 
we should set up a unit that is essentially in charge of investigating and combating these types of things on Earth. And the London, the government, the London government, the English government, basically sends back a letter saying, well, we don't want to do anything like that. Maybe you should look to the UN. Well, interestingly enough, Cavendish... <laughs> Which works for Torchwood. Cavendish, we already have that, but we're not allowed to talk about it. Cavendish, who is this RAF sergeant, I think, at the time, has already been putting in place with uh, the UN, and already working with the UN, uh, a way to set up something similar to UNIT within the UN and they in Geneva, and they would basically administer it. And he's the one that recommends Lethbridge-Stewart to head that up. So Cavendish... The guy that he's talking to is the one that basically is responsible, but he doesn't appoint him because he didn't have that part. Right. But he's responsible for getting uh, the brigadier because he gets promoted. That's mentioned in here is that the brigadier was promoted shortly after the London event because mm-hmm. of his involvement, because of his command. And then uh, he's essentially put in touch with the UN by Cavendish because they're already getting ready to set Now, does the book specify out. for sure that Cavendish is under the control of the great intelligence? Well, it, it, it because it's it's weird because they it, there were there were elements to it where it seemed like there may have been a friendship there once upon a there time, was. but there yeah. certainly is not now. Well, and here's what happens too: uh, around about the time Victoria goes to the monastery, um, suddenly she wakes up in the hospital, and this guy I can't remember his name Bryce I think the the adventurer guy the, the writer that had had put her in touch with the the guy the guide that took her up there. He's essentially just kind of this nice guy that, that uh, I think even Sarah Jane, they connect him to how Sarah Jane knows him, but he's this, he was explorer and, and whatever. She wakes up in the hospital, and he basically pays her hospital bill and sends her home. Shortly after that, Cavendish and this other guy, go, they, they're, they're on working for the UN now, are flying up, and they, they're, they're trying to find out what's going on and what has happened here. They're investigating this explosion at this uh, Denset Monastery. And they land the helicopter, and as he gets out to start to explore, these monks kind of line up on the... There's nothing left. The place is in rubble. The place exploded after after she released Traverse slash Great Intelligence. And so when he's up there, the monks are standing on this thing, and it, I'm not exactly sure what happens, but something really kind of metaphysical happens, and they start chanting, and he, they talk about this concussion of wave that comes over them, and they're like scared and they run off. And I get the impression that that was the intelligence utilizing the monks at that point to basically influence or take over or start to take uh, over Cavendish. So okay. Cavendish is starting to become possessed at that point by the great intelligence as well. So yes, the mm-hmm. book does kind of set the groundwork for okay. Cavendish. That's why I say Cavendish, when I saw this, Cavendish was this little just tiny piece of this whole thing that I thought, why is he even in here? It's almost like there's more of a story there. Well, yes, there is more of a story there. In fact, Cavendish is back at the UN trying to keep... Because when Sarah Jane calls in... Was it QQ... Uh, PPQQ? QQMM. QQMM? Or MMQQ. Oh, MMQQ. And you know what those are? The production codes for... <laughs> oh, really? And, <laughs> yeah, I read this later. And uh, Web of Theo. Those were the production codes. That's why they used it. More fan service. And so when she, uh, when she calls in MMQQ, that is like serious stuff and so the current brigadier and I can't remember his name um, 
starts to, you know, well, should we take this serious? And they're, they're trying to figure out whether you really need to go in there with... And Cavendish actually comes in and tries to, like, inadver- like not... They don't know, but subversively try to... Poo-poo the poo-poo idea. Poo-poo the idea yeah. and make sure that they don't go out there uh-huh. and whatnot because he knows what's going on. So there's a little more to that. Another thing that's really cool, guess who shows up? She's not the Brigadier yet, but she's... Bamba... Uh, 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 Bamera, but no. Bambera, yeah. Bambera, yeah. She's she's like a first first uh, <laughs> colonel or something like that. She's kind of seconding to command at unit, and so she's in this too. That's cool. And she's there at the battle. And in fact, she fl- her and uh, sadly enough, the uh, the pilot that had gone with Cavendish <laughs> and was also affected by whatever happened up there is as in the plane as yeah, her pilot. Uh, and there's some yeah, there's some. Red shirt death. Yeah, red shirt death going on. But she, her plane actually, her helicopter actually crashes, and I went, well, she can't be dead. And then find out later, they actually, she actually managed to land it in a pond. <laughs> so she saved everybody on board. So, it's just that and they was, got promoted. Just more, yeah, probably more, because of it. More things, just in. I can, Not just I can, in the film, but in the book, there's all this fan service. I can see it's what happened is, is is that he he Mark Platt wrote this. He he wrote all of it. He wrote the whole thing, and they turned in the script, and they went, "We cannot afford an explosion at a monastery. We cannot afford a helicopter. We cannot afford that. We cannot go to Geneva." And so the whole thing got cut out. And they went, and we so can, they ghost lighted it. We we can afford this, so we'll shoot the. We can yeah. afford going to the university. We'll shoot that. Sort of what it feels like. We can afford a houseboat, so we'll film that. And that's it. What about the pyramid on the on the uh, top of the university? Oh, that was again. Cool. We've got the pyramid uh, uh, imagery. We've got the spheres. We've got everything Which that has come. I before. wondered had I not gone into this knowing that it was an intelligence archive. I wondered if that immediate because it's it's that, it's one of the first scenes. Yeah, that boom yeah. here. I think I, it's right after I heard the monastery that you see that. Mm-hmm. No, they show the the exterior shot of New World University. Yeah, yeah and you see the big you see it on top of it. And, and I wondered, to my, would I have automatically cued into the? I bet I know what that is. You know that he came back into that. And maybe well, I don't was, know when Travers come out of the tunnel after she released him out of the webs. I, I my first thought was, well, there's great intelligence. Well, because you don't know it's Travers at first. Yeah, it's just a yeah. shape. Well, but, and yeah, because they've got it backlit really mm-hmm. well. But. but. It's frustrating because it's like, oh, I can see the yeah. <laughs> I highly couldn't, you, you, couldn't afford any of this. Don't run out and do it now, but I highly recommend at some point you guys read the book. I think you guys would thoroughly enjoy it, especially if you enjoyed the the film itself. The, the book really expounds on it. It really goes a lot further to explain and make sense of a lot of things that are happening to us. But the thing that impressed me the most is every bit of dialogue that I could tell from the movie is in the book. So uh-huh. it wasn't like. Because I had heard that he had kind of changed the plot a little bit. The plot still clips on exactly the same way. The only change that I saw, <coughs> other than the additions, the only change that I saw is that when it ends, it's it's nighttime. And he makes a point to, that, to understand mm-hmm. that it's dark outside afterwards. But that was the only difference. We couldn't between, afford nighttime shoots. <laughs> yeah. It was the only difference in, in, that I could tell that was the, the fact that it was... Nighttime when everything finishes up. By the time they, they get to the courtyard and the great intelligence is about to make the the final emergence on the on the on the world, it's it's actually dark out, but it, it's producing so much light from the energy that you can't tell. But then once the energy goes away, it's, dark, subdued, again, it's, it's, dark, it's dark outside. Well, the impression that I get is that the sun has gone down in the meantime, so you didn't realize it had gotten dark until basically the lights ah. go out and you go, oh yeah, it's dark out. 
I will say I was impressed with, uh, you with know, not, not, not only the people that they had, but just a really large cast. They had yeah, there was dozens of lots of chili. Yeah, they had dozens of kids. <laughs> lots in of this, people in traffic in, the, in this high school and or college. And I was like, when they all showed up there at the end, and you know, had the little pyramid of, of balls and. Which was yeah, we've got spheres and pyramids there, but just it's like wow, that's a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, it's like how many of you want to be in my movie? I mean, come here, <laughs> put this on. Really, green hat? Yeah, trust me, that and the Walkman. You got to put the Walkman. <laughs> the headphones. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's frustrating that because it, it, it is such a. You see all the potential that yeah, could have been. Yeah, there's just so much potential well, it's, here. It's all right here. And, and, and it, 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 it capitalizes on some of it. And I know that most of the reviews... I, I read a bunch of reviews on this, and most of the people commented about how much they enjoyed it, but all of those reviews dealt with the performances. That, and, and, as you, that, right, that, that right. giddy fan feeling of, there's the brig, there's Sarah Jane, there's yep. this. And if you really drill down to it, that it is such a muddled mess of a plot... But having the book, I think really, I'm totally going to read it yeah. because it yeah. really sounds like it flushes things out. And I'm sad to say I've given a lot of it away, but I'm, I think you'll still thoroughly. No, I just, just to be able to sit down and piece it all together at once. I, 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 I literally I watched time. Friday morning. I watched this show, and and I, it piqued my interest to find out what was in the book. And I went to the end, and when I read that, I went, "Oh, this is actually pretty good." And so I thought, and I thought, oh, "There's no way I'll read this before Sunday." I was done Sunday morning. <laughs> I, I, I started. Friday morning after I watched, I read most, not most of the day, but off and on Saturday, and then was finished by Sunday morning. And I thought, wow, I've never read a book that fast. It's been a long time since I read that long of a book that fast. I think it's 257 pages or something. Wow. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a short book, but it's not a long book by any means. Um, it's not more It's still fast-paced. No, but yeah, I just, it, it, it just gripped me and kept going. Now, it also helps that... When I read a book and can already visualize all of the characters and, yeah. and most of the scenes, that was the yeah. nice thing yeah. is I could see the university, I could see the Tibetan monk, I could see the, the, I could see everything that was in it because it was well set up from having seen the visuals already. I just had to put, you know, I obviously had to come up with the uh, the guy's name is Bryce, the guy that Victoria meets up with in the beginning. She has this this wonderful eccentric landlady that's in there as well. Um, oh, there's the, the brigadier's secretary, <laughs> or the school secretary. She's wonderful. She shows up at one time to check up on him. It's, it's clear that she's uh, a uh, um, uh, enamored with him and that she likes him <laughs> because she... Uh, Is her name Doris? Oh, my gosh. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Was it Doris? <laughs> While Glenn looks that oh up, <laughs> I don't think it was. I think it was Claire, Clarice or something. Claire. Mm-hmm. Missed opportunity. Clarice Doris. <laughs> Doris is his pet name for her. <laughs> Here we go. I'm getting there. I'm getting. There. Oh come on! No, it's. Oh, I wish you could see this at home. Glenn furiously paging through it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I, move on. What, what, I th- what I think would be interesting <laughs> is now. Did you read any of the the target novelizations of episodes that you hadn't seen? Uh, or was it always when I was a kid? I think the only target novelization that I read was maybe Attack of the Cybermen. Maybe I can't remember. It was a Cyberman story. It was the only thing that I no, it wasn't Attack because it was one that I had not seen. Revenge, uh, maybe might have been. It was something that uh, that yeah, something Cyberman that I had never seen the the show. 
Um, but that was the only Target novelization I read as a kid. I've read more of them as an adult since I've seen a lot of them. But Do you remember your impressions after you've read that one, going back and watching the episode then? They and going never as good. Never. <laughs> <laughs> no, That was my problem with Web of Fear. That's the one that see, really sticks out in my mind. That man, and War Games, cer- actually, was the same way. That's just it. You certainly read a lot more. I only read the one, and I, I, I remember... God, I recognizing, I, I remember oh. recognizing a lot of it when I finally did see the story, the televised story. But um, yeah, no, I just because what I what I think would be interesting is to kind of do a, 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 a reverse <laughs> on this that because there's still plenty that you've not Got watched, that. Keith. Oh, so yeah. if we could get a hold of a target novelization and have you read it. And then well, get you to watch an episode, yeah. and then do the reverse. Yeah. Have you read one of an episode you've already seen? Well, we kind of did that with Moonbase because I'd read yeah. that. Movie. I guess that's true. I didn't yeah. think about yeah. that. So we just need to do the reverse. Yeah, I just need to go and read a novelization of one I've seen. I forgot this. The, they named drop uh, Chorley. Chorley. The, the, uh, uh, journalist, the journalist from yeah. Web of Fear. Oh, Apparently now he's a veteran TV presenter <laughs> of the show Yours Chorley. Oh, God. <laughs> That's what's so wonderful about this. Is this is all these little things. So Mark Platt really is pretty good in long form. It's just oh, he, 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 just, he, just, he just needs a budget. Be. I've heard well, that Ghostlight, the book, is, is so much better than the... Uh, the show. It almost so, seems I'm not like his. With you. I I, I, it, it's, it seems more like it's his ideas are so beyond what they could do at the time. Maybe that's it. Maybe he would uh, have him write a two-parter for uh, New Who, and it might be phenomenal because he could truly present what he was was. In, what's we'll in have his head. him write it, and then we'll have uh, we'll, we'll invite Peter Jackson on to direct it. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> then, the, then Stephen Moffat come in and go, we can't afford this, we can't afford this, we can't afford this. And he'll be screaming, you told me I had money! <laughs> Celia, that's her name. Uh, Celia. Yeah, took me a little while. It's not even short for Doris. <laughs> or similar. <laughs> that would have been so uh, cool. Celia. I, Glenn's brain would have melted. I would have. <laughs> it was made that book even a thousand times better. Um, we obviously don't need to review the next two, but I think we certainly need to allude to the fact that, and I think we did a little bit before, is that obviously downtime sort of laid the ground at work, I think, in Moffat's mind. So. Adapting the idea of the Wi-Fi and the intelligence using it, as you have mentioned, um, what's her name, Kinsit? Yeah, is is really kind of in Kislet. the same Kislet. Kislet is kind of in the same boat as, as Victoria, Victoria but even similar. more so because at this point the great intelligence has really taken her over, and she has, has really reshaped her mind. Oh, because yeah. as we know, when he leaves at she's the end, she's child. reverted to a child yeah. when he first found her, and obviously has been with her longer. How, 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 how old is Kislet? Ballpark? Do we think fifties uh, maybe? Okay, fifties. Yeah, How many years between the events of less than thirty? Oh, yeah. But see, here's the thing: is and this is what I kind what of talked about. That's what I kind of talked about last week. Is because we're dealing with the astral plane. I don't think time works the same way. Yeah, that's true. And I'll because buy that. And the and in the same sense that the intelligence can kind of be several places at the same time, I think he can be at several times at the same time. Yeah. So I okay. think he's always been trying to find ways to manipulate the system and come through to reality, to our plane. And so I think he, he even though these are all different events, 
that are linear. I think he's he's got irons in the fire everywhere, and I think that's why I think that you can have. So it's probably more of a direct line from Web of Fear that yes. she she was maybe somebody that he had nabbed a hold of before being sent off. To well, the maybe so. Planet. Yeah, being trapped. But I also think also that, that that perhaps things leak through. Yeah, and I think that maybe the the, the great intelligence, just as he did with Pamela Vamova, <laughs> I'm still not getting the name right. It was a slow process of, it wasn't like, boom, it was, he was in control yeah. of her. It was more of a, he, he just got a greater hold as she grew older and, and manipulated what she was doing. And so this would is kind of a life she would have left, led, but at the point where she gets to the, the point we are in uh, the Bells of St. John, when he leaves, she's completely reverted back because she goes back to the point where he was, where there was no essence of him in her at all. Yeah. So yeah. I think that, that you, I think it's this is stretching it. This is maybe retconning a little bit, but I think that's the idea that I was trying to present last week. That was even though you've got nineteenth uh, uh, century Victorian London, where we really kind of see the birth of the great intelligence, and then it's pointed out that the, the you know. It's only forty years later that the Tibetan monastery happens, but you get the impression that pa- that Padmas Vamsabah was, <laughs> you know, that the intelligence had sort of inhabited him for, for almost three hundred yeah. years because yeah. the doctor, you know, was gone for three hundred years and he was still around. So that's why I say I, I think you kind of have to kind of think of it outside the box as to how the great intelligence works, and so I, that's why I think it still works there. That's why I still think it works for downtime. I think when in the events is when the intelligence has manifested here as much, you know, the, the greatest that he could or at, at those certain points. And so that's why those, those are, yeah, he's, that's, he's at him as his strongest. So that's why those are um, peak points. And I think even when we get to the Bells of St. John, he really is still in the process of his plan and he gets thwarted earlier than it does in any of the other stories. But he's now, at this point, feeding on people through the Wi-Fi in the same way that he was feeding on a group of people in downtime. Yeah. So it, 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 he's kind of altered his operations a little bit, but he's still looking for uh, world domination. It's not until we get to the name of the Doctor... That he actually has a different plan? Well, it's not even so much that he has a plan. It's he's... Beyond world domination now. He's been thwarted by the doctor so many times at this point it's revenge. And he yep. makes that clear. Oh, that's yeah. all he's his 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 MO in that one is he's going to go in and ruin the doctor's timeline. That's all he's gonna do. He knows he's gonna die in the process. He says that. It's it's just revenge. That's his ultimate uh, mode of operandi. I mean, that's, that's, that's all he what he's looking for. That's all he cares at that point. And I think that's a neat dichotomy shift for a villain. Because when your method of operation has been the same from story to story, and you continue to fail, you continue to fail, suddenly it's like, you know what, I don't care. I'm going <laughs> to... Well, just, it, to heck with you. It's, it's something that works because you can't necessarily do it with any other character. I mean, we, we, we joked about the Master's MO, which was always, uh, I'm going to show up and be in disguise, and then I'm going to team up with the alien menace to take over, and it's <laughs> never going to work out, and then I'm going to have to team up with the doctor to stop it. Or you look at the Daleks, who are, yeah, we're going to come in and 
screw up <laughs> not somewhere, make, somewhere along the line and not make it to the Dr. World's Orders. If you changed one of those fundamentally and you, you, you suddenly completely rewrite the character that it doesn't work anymore. I mean, it, the, the Daleks, quite honestly, would be kind of scary, frightening if they German blitzkrieged their way through yeah. a planet <laughs> and that was it. Well, you I'll know? tell you. There was no grand state. It was just, yeah, I'm going to kill everybody now. That's it. Exterminate I, for real. <laughs> I think Moffat are, are, also took the Daleks in a different direction with Asylum of the Daleks. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, he's, he's been really good. At, yeah, he's been really good at doing that. But he, it's certainly what you're... But I mean, if, 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 if that's, a, that's a slow step... In a, in a slightly different direction versus a complete reversal. Yeah. Whereas the great intelligence we've had uh, six stories, yeah. if you include downtime. Yeah. Six well, five, five, right? Five. It's six total. Well, well it's six, three and three. Plus downtime. Oh, no. no. Yeah. That's part of the three. So, so first trilogy is, is the, name of the classics. Doctor, you've got five and, stories. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. we've had five so stories, five stories so with the, this particular, I'm going to take over the world, <laughs> and it doesn't work out. And so now it is a complete change. Screw this noise. I'm going after you because you because you're the reason why. You're the reason you're why, the reason why, I why none of the rest this. of these have shown up, even though he wasn't responsible for downtime, but <laughs> <laughs> peripherally, maybe. Peripherally. Stupid guy. He didn't have companions, and it would have worked. <laughs> But anyway, so now all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I'm willing to sacrifice myself and off myself. And you can do that with a great intelligence because it's kind of a forgotten villain. You couldn't do that with the Daleks where no. we, we've rewritten them to the point where they're the end. You couldn't do that with the Master, that nobody would really genuinely believe that this is the end-all, be-all, mm -hmm. and now he's gone. Right. People still wouldn't believe it. The great intelligence may be gone forever. This may legitimately be the end of it right. because of that change. And I think that's really kind of cool yeah. that in a show that is always about the possibility of somebody coming back, something coming back. That no, but no, this, 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 this may be it. I think that the, the thing with Name of the Doctor too is looking at it from a great intelligence aspect. There seems to be some missed opportunities of the the development of the Whispermen, how yeah. he gets to Trenzalore, how uh, if, if if just him in Victorian London again, it's kind of hard to wait. So is this him from his future that traveled back in time? How did he do that? There's a lot of stuff just from a great intelligence aspect that could be better uh, explored. You, you nailed it on the head because the first time that I watched this, I had watched all the great intelligence stuff before, but there was enough of a gap here that when I watched The Name of the Doctor, it's, I watched it in the context of, of, of uh, Series 7. Yes. And it's a good story. It's it a really it strong well in story in the context of the series, of the, the, that particular season. But then you're right. When you start to, when you put it all together and you start to apply, there's a lot of things that, yeah, you're right. It's, it's missed it's, opportunities. It's not even missed opportunities. It's almost like well, wait, how throwaways. Does this work? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like how does he get to Trenzalore? How? Why is he still existing? In, and, and, and he's had so much of a, a trouble getting to reality. Now I, I get the impression that the the, the Whisper Men were, are kind of his key to his moving through to this plane and being able to. Well, keep in mind though, move there's, 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 a, there's a difference here too between all of the previous adventures up to Bells of Saint John. He was not only defeated but sent back to the mm -hmm. astral plane. Bells of St. John ends, and he was defeated, but only the operation was defeated. The last thing he says to Kislet is, 
I have grown. It's time for you to diminish. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's so true. So he could be completely free. He doesn't have control of the Wi-Fi anymore. He doesn't have this, but he has grown to the point Enough where that he can do whatever he, may he not wants. Well, at least so. to a point where he utilizes the Whisperman as his vehicle exactly. and no longer needs the conventional means that yeah. he had in the past. That's what. That's actually what works the best for me is the fact that the Whisperman aren't. Like the web or the pyramids or the spheres or the foam or anything else that was a vehicle uh, for the great intelligence to move through to the to reality, the Whispermen were their own entity, and it almost seems like he, somehow he created. basically no, I don't think he created them. I get the impression that they were his own; they were their their own thing, and he found a way to utilize them so that he could use his astral form. In reality, now that he has grown strong enough to be here, that he still he still has to have a vehicle, and now he has found the perfect vehicle, and they're almost like willing servants as opposed to unwilling servants in the past. Where he's yeah, it's had not to take, like he's hypnotized them exactly, and taken them over. Exactly, exactly. It's almost he's, like he's a got symbiotic. Now. <laughs> it's like a symbiotic relationship, in my opinion. Could be because I think he exists in all of them. And that's the idea that he gives when he peels the face off, and then it's, the other guy, and it's him. I get yeah. the impression that he's he's created a symbiotic relationship with the Whispermen, and suddenly that's how he can be here materially. Now, it still doesn't explain how he got to Trinzalore, well, but, but it does explain why he's <laughs> existing in our reality. Well, and the, the explanation of the Whispermen also helps... The fact that he has changed his motive and his want. Because all along he's wanted a physical form. Now he has it in the form of Whisperman. So now he's going to want something else. Right. Well, well that's it, a good point. It's also true that we, we, he, that's a good point. he can manifest himself as Richard E. Grant. That that's now the form that yeah. he's chosen to take from the snowman on. Is that he had gained enough oomph that he could go, okay... Here it is, yeah. and wh- whether the Whispermen help facilitate that, or you know, as part of the symbiotic relationship, or it's just that he's gotten powerful enough within his plane of existence to create that physical manifestation. So yeah, it could go either way with it. Which, and while his it's he's always come across as his goal has been world domination, his initial primary goal has always been a physical form. Yeah, well, even way yeah, back to the yeah. abominable snowman. But see, I. I that's a that's a way to the means to me. Yeah, that he's just never gotten the means, so he doesn't get to. Or, yeah, he didn't get the means. He's gotten to, in order to get world domination or domination denomination. <laughs> domination is because he was never able to manifest. Yeah, wholly. So, but you're right. It certainly is another step because he he now has obtained at least manifestation in this world. Now it doesn't necessarily. Maybe when once he got here, he thought well, maybe world domination isn't the way to go. <laughs> maybe destroying all of time and space is the way to go. Well, you know, up your game. <laughs> Got to think bigger. <laughs> One million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> the best example of that's got to be Ducktales the movie when Scrooge gets the lamp. And he's like, I could own a diamond mine. No, I could own the world's largest diamond mine. No, I could own all of the diamond mines. No, the entire mining industry. Yes! <laughs> that to me was like, this is a guy that's got it together and is figuring this out. 
I can see the great intelligence having that discussion with himself. <laughs> the whisper men are sitting around nodding. Yeah, boss. Yeah, sure, whatever you want. Playing cards in the background. You do whatever you want, boss. <laughs> Just call us when you're ready. Um, so I went back and watched pieces of uh, Name of the Doctor uh, to kind of gear up for this. Once again... Just devastated over what a waste the Whispermen really were. That, they could have been such so much a cool. cool concept villain that ultimately became the henchman standing in the background, going, "Yeah, boss, you do whatever you want. Let us know when you're yeah. ready." And it's, oh man! But, well, that's what's so also interesting about the Great Intelligence news series stories is while he's there and important, he's kind of still background too yeah. Yeah. because of. The character or uh, uh, Clara's storyline. Yeah. Well, yeah. and nobody remembers Web of Fear as a great intelligence story. They remember Web of Fear as the Yeti story. Oh yeah. The same with Abominable Snowman. Sure. It's, it's it, you know, nobody's going to go with into the Snowman and think, oh wow, a great. In- it's Killer Snowman. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. It's it's all about. Well, the- you know, who remembered those stories as great intelligence stories? Stephen Moffat. Yeah. Because he chose to do the great intelligence as opposed to bringing back the Yeti, which were probably the popularity of those shows. Part of me, I'm going to go on the side of, uh, well, definitely, and I said this before, Stephen Moffat knew what they had found in Nigeria. Yeah, that's probably. That he he knew for sure that Web of Fear had been discovered, and so he tailored this to help tie into that reveal. I also think from a producing standpoint that when you look at the great intelligence and you go, it can it's formless, shapeless, astral plane, I can oh I could get Richard E. Grant, fantastic versus Yeti. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For a new series show it's like how do you Well re- that's certainly true too. How do you yeah. redesign the Yeti and make it believable? Yeah. And, oh and, absolutely. You, you know, know, yeah. that's one of it's and it, it's, was it's, it Chrissy it really that, is Chrissy's one that brought that up was the yeah. fact that, you know, you this is the best adversary to bring back because you can shape it in any way you want. Um, now, are there fans, myself included, who would be kind of like, yay, Robot Yeti are back on Dr. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you could find a vehicle that made them essential to the story, yeah. if you just brought them back as Robot Yeti attacking London, I would groan because it's not believable. Well, And I don't think the audience today would buy it. No, well. But if you did a story in the Himalayas and yeah. you you could find a reason for doing it. Okay, sure, why not? Robot Yeti run amok. It's, and, it's like Ice Warriors in Series 7. It's finding a different way to do it. Yeah. It's yeah, important. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And to me, honestly, now granted, I had never seen the two stories, but I, I knew about the Yeti, mostly because of the Five Doctors. <laughs> the, the Yeti did return in a very, actually, plausible way. In the in the 20th anniversary, mm-hmm. uh, because of the of the way that it's structured, it makes sense for that Yeti to be there, yeah. and so that was a nice little nod to the past as well. And I think that I was kind of satisfied with that, and I've always been. So, yeah. I, I I'm like you. If they could find out a really clever way to bring them back, but I just don't think that they would work in in uh, modern day. Well, All right, they, they could run amok at the zoo. <laughs> as, you know, apparently, like the prime minister. Um, um, one other quick thing sure, on that. Sure, sure. Um, I was unprepared uh, for as much as I think the Whispermen were wasted. The part, it's, it's kind of strange, but the parts of the story arc that really grabbed me this time out were the Doctor's inter- uh, relationships with River and all of those interpersonal bits and pieces. Whereas the first time going through this, I think we were all focused on Clara and the lead up and the open and what the heck is going on. And then the great intelligence shows up, and what is your name, and all that kind of stuff. And River's kind of just this 
extra thread, it seemed like, at, at, at first. And we, I think we even questioned why is she here, because it almost seems like she sort of doesn't, doesn't serve much purpose to the story. Going back and watching it this time, those are the parts of the story that I really found myself gravitating to. We did too this time. Yeah. And just stuck on how heartbreaking it is <laughs> when he grabs her hand there at the end and they share that moment. And it's just like, oh, I'm sad all over again and she's gone. And I think it's funny because I just read um, something that uh, Matt Smith said at a convention that apparently he has kind of told Moffat. He's like, because Moffat's yeah, been giving him little that. updates that he said, just don't give her any scenes with Capaldi. Yeah. He says, I'm, I'm very possessive of Alex Kingston. <laughs> yeah. River's mine. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. You know, and I think I was the hardest on the fact that, that River was there. Um, while it, it still made sense in the story to me, I, I was kind of the one going, yeah, I don't know that it was really necessary. It felt like it was kind of overused. But as I watched this time, I did the same thing. I focused more in more on that, that narrative and what was going on there in that story. And it occurred to me that really the doctor never really got a chance to say goodbye to River because... Well, he doesn't like goodbyes. Well, but at the beginning of his timeline with River, she dies. And mm-hmm. so he's already lived that and gone through that. And we're kind of left with he's already said not a lot and by the end of Series 7 or 6... Uh, in the way of a departure or a finale or anything like that. We're really not left with anything. So this was really a way to twofold kind of by linking back to where she is after she essentially dies in the, in that mainframe. It really was a nice way to kind of do this little bridge from the beginning to the end and not have to disrupt anything in between and still give those moments of, of really... They were a lot more emotional for me this time, and so I, I really appreciated it this time. And, and at, I think I've seen this. This is my third viewing, but at third glance, it certainly was much more appropriate <laughs> and worked in for the story a lot better. So good, I was, good. I was, I was I'm, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad. I'm glad you came down on the happy side of that one because <laughs> Keith and I were sad for a long time. That <laughs> yeah. You were so adamant that she serves no purpose to me. I don't think it was so much that I said social purchase. It was the vehicle to get her there was what bothered me, yeah. but I, I just I, I kind of lost her at this time. <laughs> <laughs> Hand wave. Yeah, it, it sort of made more sense that she still has dreams in the Matrix. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, Sean, what do we got coming up next Ooh. on the schedule? We're almost there, by the way. So if you haven't got a lot of your homework done, if, we've got to get it done quick. If if she still has dreams. In the Matrix, the Matrix is essentially a giant what? Computer, computer. Gi may not be dead. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Ooh, he comes back as River. Ooh, no, Ooh. no, 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 <laughs> All right, so any other thoughts then on the great intelligence? No, we... no. I think that's it. All right. All righty, well, uh, coming up this week for Friday Night Who is For to Doomsday with Peter Davidson. Uh, it's uh, May, so we are celebrating the, the fifth doctor in the fifth month, unlike last year when we <laughs> didn't. <laughs> Well, we celebrated him just not in the fifth month. Well, we celebrated him in the sixth month, because that's how we do things. This year we're going in the fifth month. 
Uh, and then our show uh, next week, which is fast approaching, three days away, <laughs> will be uh, our review of Four to Doomsday and ebook five, Tip of the Tongue, which I've not read yet, but uh oh, Glenn's making a tip of the tongue face. <laughs> His tongue is out. I think I have like 10 pages left. I haven't started it yet, but it Sorry, I don't want to shouldn't take me too long. Taint your print. No, it's only 30 some pages. Yeah, I'm getting shorter again. It's less than 40, thankfully. Um, as much as she's in it. So, uh, that's your homework assignment, immediate kids. If you haven't got that done, get your finals wrapped up and then read the ebook. And then next week, we have Dalek for Friday Night Who with Christopher Eccleston. And a little bit of uh, bigger homework for you because our show the following week, one at seventy-eight, is the adaptation argument, where we will be reviewing Dalek and the supposed story that it's based on, Big Finish Mainline Number Forty Jubilee. And so we'll kind of be comparing and contrasting those. Uh, the following week, the end of May, we get Caves of Adrazani. Finally, <laughs> yay! <laughs> And uh, a whole show on caves uh, for 179. And the following week, the first week of June, June being the sixth month, can you guess what we're doing? Uh, six Doctor stuff? You'd be right. Twin Dilemma? We're, we're doing Glenn's absolute all time favorite <laughs> Doctor Who story, The Twin Dilemma, which will come nicely right on the heels of caves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then our show number that's, 180. Actually, that's the best thing about doing it at this point, is it makes sense. <laughs> well, I. And this is the first time I'm going to have something like this. Yeah. <laughs> now nah, we watched the whole key, key to time in, in order. No, no. I mean, trial a, the time. Order. I mean, a regeneration. Oh, oh, oh. So yeah, he'll, he'll get both ends of the regeneration. Now. First time. Well, Doctor Who's a movie. You get the outcome uh, and incoming. That's all, true. All of the tenant stuff movie. going into Matt Smith. You, you yeah, but I already up. seen the Matt Smith stuff before I got to. But the you got Eccleston going into. Oh, okay. no, no, we because watch we watched order. Time of Angels and Blink before we even got to back to see Eccleston. Uh, okay, I suppose that's true. <laughs> he had already seen some David Tennant. Well, he's already David seen Tenet. some Peter Davison and Colin well, Baker. I suppose that's true. Anyway. Okay, so 7 to 8 and 9 to 10 are two I actually saw in order. Yeah, there you go. That's it. Well, good news is you'll get to see that's um, true. 4 to 5, too. So. No, 5 to 6. Well, yeah. You'll get to see 4 to 5. You'll get to see 4 to 5 as well. But I'm saving that one for last because it's going to be hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, you don't care about poor Chrissy. No, I don't care about you're, poor Chrissy. You're putting you know, through this. Throwing her through the fire weeks. now. In her birthday month, no less. Oh, I know. Um, so, Caves of Adrizani and the end of May, Twin Dilemma at the beginning of June. And then uh, show number 180 will be Twin Dilemma and ebook number six, Something Borrowed. And that's kind of where I've left it up to this point, because uh, there's that crazy rumor that New Who's going to start in July, which yeah. I'm not sure I believe. But I'm not sure I believe it either, yeah, but I don't you know either. what? I'd be excited if it did. You know, they, I think they announced that on Easter weekend, didn't they? <laughs> it was Easter Saturday. Easter Saturday. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just... it's it. I... I it seems uh, it seems wrong from a timing standpoint. It seems wrong from a we would be rushed to get it. I mean, we we're still announcing directors for the season, so it seems odd to me that mm-hmm. I haven't got a single trailer. We yet. haven't got a trailer. We haven't got a poster. We haven't got a list of episode titles <laughs> for July. Now, July thirtieth. You well, know, was, yeah, I could see maybe end of July going into August. Well, I could, it, it did, did it say when in July? It just, said, it just said July. Yeah, just so, just everything has said July. Well, the thirtieth is still in July, so yeah. <laughs> so 
So, no, I, I don't think we're going to have it for the 4th of July, but no, I, I, no. I think we will be. Well, you know, it's a good old patriotic show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, as we say, is that. All right. Well, and now it's time for us to diminish. <laughs> is there anything else that we should talk about before we get turn this show loose and go to bed? Or put the show to bed? Or whatever we're doing in this show? <laughs> Thank you for uh, being patient with me during uh, finals week, and I'm very sorry <laughs> that uh, I made Batman sad. I think, most, <laughs> I think most people understand. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.